bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up on the show this morning. It's Monday. I'll be honest, uh, I will be honest with you, it was hard work getting up this morning. (sighs) The alarm. I woke up ten minutes before the alarm went off. That's always a bad sign. And I was lying in bed going, do I lie here and get this ten minutes of lying down or do I get up and watch Dragon's Den that I videoed the night before? I got up and watched Dragon's Den. Well, that guy that was selling the app... Did you see that? The guy that was selling the app that allows you to queue when you phone up call centres. What an idiot! I've got an idea. When you go on Dragon's Den, don't cheek the dragons. They're the ones with all the money, for God's sakes. Anyway, let's... (laughs) It was true, he was an idiot. Coming on the show this morning, more Jimmy Savile. What did the BBC know about Savile? We preview tonight's Panorama programme. As you heard in the news with Catherine, the bypass is welcomed by Dunstable businesses. Will it make a difference to your commute? And would you intervene if you saw some kids causing problems where you live? Particularly relevant to me, and also to Dunstable. I'll tell you more in a little bit. If you want to get in touch, you can, of course, via the email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, and this is the best way, you can give me a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, don't forget that it's the Police and Crime Commissioner debate. When is it? When? When? It's tonight? Oh, yes, it's tonight. Because next month uh, you'll have the chance to vote to decide who runs your local police force. They'll be called Police and Crime Commissioners. Uh, you may or may not have heard them. If you've listened to this show, you might, you'll probably know what they are because you're obviously quite intelligent and have excellent taste. Um, next Monday uh, on uh, BBC Three Counties, we'll be hearing from all of the people who've said they're standing. Uh, Roberto Peroni will hear all of the policies and you can send your questions in too. The Police and Crime Commissioner debate tonight from six with Roberto Peroni on BBC Three Counties Radio. So we're talking about Dunstable quite a bit this morning, not to the exclusion of everywhere else, but we're kind of mentioning it a bit. I'll tell you why. I was in Dunstable at the weekend. Um, I, I, I went to a haunted house. Yeah, mm, I know. It was it was very exciting. Uh, I went to what can only be described as a haunted house. That's a bit of rubbish echo, but you kind of get the idea. Uh, I'll play... Well, you'll get to hear what happened at the haunted house on Halloween. We're going to do a spooky Halloween special next week. So if you've got any go- kind of ghost stories that have happened to you, you can start emailing those in. 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Uh, but I was in Dunstable at the weekend, driving around. I thought, I've not been there for a long, long time. I- I'll drive around and get-, get a feel of it, you know, and I'll go and see the, the roadworks that we've been covering on this show. And I-, I went and had a look at those, and I drove past them, and I saw the, the chippy that we've been talking about, and the news agent, and all of these things. Uh, and then I got stopped in some, uh, some traffic lights. Okay. And I saw an- a guy, he was in his 40s, staring at a kid who was about 100 yards away, who was about eight, just stare, give me really evil stares. And I thought, that's very, very inappropriate. What a strange gentleman. So I, I, I pulled up next to this guy, I wound down the window, and I was looking at and I was about to say, Oi! Don't, oi! Don't stare at him! And then, the, the most amazing thing happened. Keep listening, 
and I'll tell you what happened in a little bit, okay? Oh, wait, 459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to keep, keep listening, and I will tell you what I saw happening in Dunstable at the weekend. I was shocked. But more of that anon, because a BBC Panorama programme to be screened tonight will reveal new evidence about what the BBC knew about Jimmy Savile's decades of child abuse and why Newsnight shelved its own investigation into the scandal. The BBC has denied claims that pressure was put on Newsnight to drop its report because of plans to screen tributes to Jimmy Savile. The script included uh, a report of sexual abuse of a teenager at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. We can speak to our reporter, uh, Gavin Lee. Morning, Gavin. Morning, Ian. So, Panor- this is confusing, isn't it? Panorama yeah. is investigating Newsnight's role in why the BBC didn't report this last year, and now we as the BBC are reporting on it. Tell us about the new yeah. claims that are being made. Yeah, it is extraordinary, isn't it? You, you have this one element of pr- providing what is an expose on another part of the BBC, and yeah. I think there are some journalists, that are, that, certainly for the newspapers today, saying that despite the fact the BBC is under a huge amount of pressure, it, it perhaps shows also the health of the BBC to be doing this belatedly, but uh, you have two Newsnight journalists here who are looking into the whole Jimmy Savile scandal for Newsnight at the time. They've used the Panorama programme this evening, have used emails that were written by those journalists, and they've both challenged and questioned this official BBC explanation for stopping this investigation into Jimmy Savile. So we have on the one hand the Newsnight editor, Peter Rippon, who said earlier this month that the programme had been investigating the Surrey police inquiry into Jimmy Savile, and it found no evidence of institutional failure. That was the police... uh, response, so then Newsnight decided to drop the story. Well, the film's producer and the reporter say they were actually investigating the central allegation, the main allegation, whether or not Jimmy Savile was a paedophile, and they claim they had enough evidence and interviews for a script to be prepared, there was a transmission date given, and then it all went quiet, and they say they've expressed deep frustration and their fear that the decision not to broadcast it would clearly be seen as a cover-up. This is Liz McKean, the main reporter on the story. Ever since the decision was taken to shelve our story, I've not been happy with public statements made by the BBC. I think they're very misleading about the nature of the investigation we were doing. And the producer looks into the story for Newsnight, uh, looking into the story for Newsnight, saying he warned his editor that the BBC would be accused of covering up the story at the time, didn't he? Yeah, this is interesting, and this is very serious. It gets gets to the heart, I think, of, of what um, John Simpson has said about this. He, the veteran sort of, um, world affairs editor saying it goes to the heart of the BBC, it goes to the trust in uh, BBC journalism, that um, you know, Marion Jones, who is a distinguished producer, produced many award-winning uh, panorama pieces, now has really turned against his own boss, really, and is saying that you know f- there was so much to, to go off, that he has so much to, to look at. He was absolutely shocked and surprised that all of a sudden it stopped. I argued, as did Liz McKean with our editor. We had meetings together. We had individual meetings with him, uh, and the argument went on for some time. We weren't asked to find more evidence or anything like that. We weren't asked to get more people on camera. Uh, we were told to stop working on the story. Gavin, briefly if you can, uh, uh, it's all over the front pages this morning. Is this damaging for the BBC's reputation? I think it's it's a huge challenge. I mean, there are different views about how much it challenges the BBC. John Simpson saying it's the biggest crisis almost five decades, the World Affairs editor. Uh, just worth me saying as well, in terms of a comment, tonight on um, Panorama, Peter Rippon, the editor of Newsnight, George Entwistle, the dire- director um, general, and Helen Bowden, the head of news, haven't provided responses to those points yet. So far, we know that Peter Rippon has said it was editorial reasons why Jimmy Savile's uh, case was stopped. Um, George Entwistle will give evidence 
evidence evidence to MPs tomorrow. The media, media select committees will hear from him. There is a BBC statement saying that the BBC has launched an independent review into the mm. Jimmy Savile scandal, which will clearly cover the Newsnight allegations as well. Gavin, you may or might know this. Has Rippon stepped down? Because I've read in some places he had. Then on, on the internet last night, I saw a strong argument saying that he hadn't stepped down. Yeah, I've seen this in a number of... Um, tabloid papers as well, the Daily Mail suggesting this. There's no official confirmation that we've had yet. Gavin Lee, thank you very much indeed. It just keeps on going. 08459 455 555, Dusty Springfield. bit of Dusty. A Dusty in Memphis? What an album. And a complete musical contrast. I'm off to see Jennifer Lopez this evening. I know. I'm an old man. That's Maybe that's why I'm going. Uh, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. If you want to get in touch, do give me a call. 08459 455 555. And a little bit later on, I will um, be telling you exactly what I saw happening in Dunstable yesterday. Shocking behaviour. Shocking behaviour. But before that... Let's get the travel news. Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Well, no major problems to update you with at the moment. Looks like it's moving fairly nicely out there. The motorway is not causing too much of a problem across the area, but it's actually starting to look a little bit tricky at the moment on the A405. That's the North Orbital Road, just around the M25 Junction 21A roundabout. Everything else, though, really not looking too bad. Looks like the trains are also running to time on the local live departure boards. No major problems there. But don't forget, it is looking particularly foggy out there this morning, so do be careful out on the roads. Maybe may be causing a few problems. There's more in 15 minutes. 
Thank you very much, Sophie. Good morning. It is... I'm trying to work out what the time is. It's 6.15. I'll give you the date as well. It's Monday the 22nd of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A BBC panorama programme to be screened tonight will reveal new evidence about what the BBC knew about Jimmy Savile's decades of child abuse and why Newsnight shelved its own investigation into the scandal. Two people have been treated in hospital after masked intruders broke into their home in Langford last night. The gang got away with money, valuables and a black Labrador. In sport, Bedfordshire non-league side uh, Arlesley Town have been drawn away to 1987 winners Coventry in the first round of the FA Cup. We'll have a full weather bulletin shortly. Coming up, a bypass in Dunstable has been given the go-ahead. We'll find out more after 6.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday afternoon from 3... Roberto Peroni. So the grey ones aren't native to the UK. Absolutely not. But the black, ones are, but the black ones are much smaller, though. Black squirrel is a grey squirrel with black fur, that's all. Roberto Peroni. So now I'm really concerned. So the red one is OK, but yes. you've got brunette and black ones, which are just like the red ones, apparently. In some cases, they are red squirrels. <laughs> I'm really confused about squirrels. If I catch any on, on Saturday when I'm line hunting, I do need to know where to get, take them to. I'm not sure Grey Forest Police Station will take them. Uh, Mayor Dave, I can give him a call, get him to meet me. Maybe take one or two off me. Roberto Peroni, weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties Radio.
bit of Jackie Wilson first thing in the morning. We've got some good music this morning. Not that we don't every morning. To be honest, we don't. Particularly that Robbie Williams candy song, which is atrocious. But uh, Jackie Wilson there, your love keeps lifting me higher and higher. 08459 455555 is the number to call. Let's get the weather now with Steve Weston. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yeah, cloudy. Oh, excuse me. Cloudy, dull and misty with mist, uh, fog patches here and there, low cloud draped across the Chilterns and the Downs. It's another rather damp autumnal day coming up. Top temperatures, surprisingly mild, 16 Celsius, 61 Fahrenheit, uh, with the winds very light, northeasterly. Little change overnight, some clear spells, but cloudy, mild and uh, damp with mist or fog forming up quite wildly again. Uh, then winds stay light, northeasterly, and the lowest temperature, 12 Celsius, 54 Fahrenheit, so an exceptional mild night. Tomorrow, Tuesday, mist and fog slowly lifting back into low cloud. Some brighter spells with perhaps a few spots of patchy rain or drizzle here and there. Same story for Wednesday. Cloudy, dull and misty, feeling mild with uh, light rain or drizzle. Thursday, rather cloudy, perhaps the odd spot of rain. And then on Friday, we see quite a change uh, coming up for the weekend as well. Dry and quite bright with sunny spells, but temperatures probably about 10 degrees below what we're getting at the moment. So it's a marked change at the end of the week towards colder, drier weather. And there's your forecast from me, Steve Weston. Steve, thank you very much. Now, you may have been reluctant to put your heating on during the last couple of weeks because you're worried about how much your fuel bills will cost. We've had our heating on for ages and I am constantly trying to get my wife to turn it off. Put a jumper on. Oh, we've got kids. Don't put a jumper on them. She has it on all night. We can be, you can be cold in the night because you're asleep. You don't know. That's obvious, isn't it? 98,000 people have sought uh, help from Citizens Advice Bureau in the last year. Well, it's National Energy Week, and Ofgem, the regulator, is calling for change. They want the big six energy suppliers, owing, uh, owning 98% of the market, to limit their tariffs to eight, making it easier for people to switch to the cheapest. Our reporter, Sophie Silleri, has been to see Chris Hall in Hemel. She struggles to afford to heat her house since her winter fuel allowance was cut. I only put the radiators on if it's really, really cold. So, a few more jumpers, a couple of trousers. <laughs> so we're not advanced to the radiator yet? Not just yet, no. So, Chris, let's talk about the winter fuel allowance, because you lost £50 this year, yes, didn't you? Yes, that's right. How has that affected you? It's affected me, really, because I'm now rather frightened to have the heating on for as long as I used to. So what I'm going to have to do is cut down two hours in the morning to, say, two to three hours in the evening and go to bed early. So that's had quite a large effect on your life? Yes, it has. When you've got cold hands and got arthritis, it's not um, very good at all. So with this loss to your winter fuel allowance, how are you going to cope? I really don't know because it's taken me nearly all year just to save up for my television licence. It's going to be very, very difficult. Second a minute, we live in a country where old people are afraid to put their heating on. Is that right? Unbelievable. Well, editor-at-large for Saga magazine is Emma Soames. She joins me on the phone now. Good morning, Emma. Good morning. That's disgusting, isn't it? Well, it's very, very sad and worrying. Um, and I think a lot of older people are very, very worried about what's going to he- happen to their heating bills this winter. Do you hear a lot of stories like the one we just heard there? I'm afraid we do, yes. Um, 
old people, the, the, the trouble is with old people is one, they're on fixed incomes, and also, unlike many people who have children at school or go out to work, they need heating on much for much more of the time. They can't just put it, turn it off at 8.30 in the morning when they all go out and then put it back on at 5 in the afternoon. They need to heat in the day as well as in the evenings. Listen, Emma, I'm, I'm doing all right for myself, and even I uh, d- take a deep breath when I get sent my electricity and my gas bills. It's just astronomical, even, you know, for, for, for uh, other people. What can be done to help these older people? Well... What we all you, need Emma, to do. are you eating a sweetie? I'm so sorry. You are eating a sweetie, aren't I, you? No, I've just taken it out. The thing is, I've got a terrible cough, and I was worried I was about to start oh, coughing. No. I'm you. so sorry. No, don't apologise. I could hear you chomping away. And I thought, oh, no, see. I just slipped one into my mouth because I felt a coughing fit <laughs> coming me. on. Emma, carry on, please. Um, the thing is that older people are very, very worried about their heating bills this winter, and I'm afraid that. What they're doing, which is trying to save the hours they have it on, and by putting on extra layers of clothes, is one of the things they can do to save money. And these, I mean, these things are common sense, and to be honest, I think we could all do that. We could all, you have your sweetie, I'm afraid it's going to stop you coughing. No, 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 I'm okay. Good, good for you. We could, we could all put an extra jumper on and have a hot water bottle and stuff, but it, it, it's not a solution. This, that poor lady we heard there going to bed two hours early. Yes. And no, not having it, the heating on in the morning. That's disgusting, It really isn't. It really isn't. I mean, <clears throat> the Citizens Advice Bureau has got a guide out for how to um, help people with that you know to to get the most out of their heating and of course the other thing to do is to only heat certain rooms in your house um but above all the other thing that um i think uh, is about older people is that they worry so much about it um because older people do worry more than other people and they are, with good reason, very, very worried about how they're going to be able to afford the extra heating. Last year, <coughs> there were local charities helping people with their heating bills. And I would urge older people, if they got help last winter, to get not to be proud and to get back in touch with those lo- local organisations who helped them last winter. Emma Soames, editor-at-large for Saga Magazine. You go and have a chew on that cough sweet and have a nice glass of water, and hopefully that'll sort you out. Thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. In a bit, I shall tell you what I saw in Dunstable yesterday that disgusted me so much. And it was ge- I was genuinely disgusted. I nearly got out of my car. I didn't. I didn't. I nearly did. Let's have a look at the front pages of the paper, shall we? The Guardian. Uh, oh, look at that. Uh, the Guardian. BBC is, is a lot about Savile, I'm afraid. BBC emails spark war over Savile. Worst crisis I can remember in 50 years at the BBC, says John Simpson. And Obama and Romney, neck and neck as contest enters its final fortnight. The Daily Telegraph, the BBC, the emails and the Savile story that never was. I'm surprised every day, says Cameron's crisis manager. Uh, One of the Prime Minister's key advisers has admitted that most of his time is spent on day-to-day crisis management. Uh, And British Legion minders for young poppy sellers. Poppy sellers will receive protection from Royal British Legion minders for the first time after a spate of attacks last year in which volunteers were verbally abused and spat on. Really? I've got that lady's cough. (coughs) She's done something for me. 
Uh, the Times. Uh, there's a picture of Helena Bonham Carter with her boobs pushed together. It's what it's a picture of, and that's why it's on the front page of The Times. Um, and Panorama. BBC misled its viewers over Savile. Uh, the Independent. More oh, look. Oh, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. BBC Savile Pro puts Entwistle under new pressure. He's only been in the job 20 minutes. He's only been in for 20 minutes. Oh, well. It was, it was nice while it lasted. Uh, and vulnerable to be hurt most by inhumane support cuts. The Daily Express, new bounce in housing market. Sales boost for 65% of towns across Britain. Uh, The Sum, we have a picture of a lady with her bottom. I don't know who she is. Uh, And trolls target Mama Dell. Vile online taunts over new baby. Uh, The Savile, uh, the the Daily Mail is the, 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 of course, they're going to go at the BBC. They they, they would do whatever the news. Emails plunge BBC into worst crisis in 50 years. And tired out Brucey, 84, is to take a break from Strictly Come Dancing. I saw... About 45 seconds of Strictly Come Dancing at the weekend. Oh, it's enough for me. Well, we'll, we'll have our uh, under-10s experts on later on in the show. I'm not sure who we've got today, but we'll have them on, and they can fill us in on all the juicy gossip. And the Daily Mirror. Uh, how many do I need to become a serial ki- killer? Cops fear Cabby has more victims. Evil Christopher Halliwell once asked a fellow lag what it takes to be a serial killer. Well, there we go. That's the kind of thing that we're dealing with this morning. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. If you want to give me a call, you can give us a call anytime about anything. But first off, here's the travel news with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bugs travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Not looking too bad out there at the moment. Still a little bit heavy on the A405 at North Orbital Road, just approaching the M25 Junction 21A roundabout. But that's a usual sort of delay for this time in the morning, so nothing that should be holding up for too long. Now, the M25 and the rest of the motorways really not looking too bad across the area at the moment. Seem to be coping fairly well, and the rest of the usual delays not actually causing too much of a problem at the moment. Seems to be looking fairly good out there on the speed sensors. Now, it is particularly foggy out there, so conditions are not great, so do be careful out on the road this morning, but the trains and tubes are also looking good on the local live departure boards. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much Sophie. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. We're approaching 6.30 so let's get the latest news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines, a BBC Panorama programme to be screened tonight, will reveal new evidence about what the BBC knew about Jimmy Savile's decades of child abuse and while Newsnight shelved its own investigation into the scandal. Two people have been treated in hospital after masked intruders broke into their home in Langford last night. The gang got away with money, valuables and their pet black Labrador. And the MP for South West Bedfordshire, Andrew Salou, has welcomed the approval of the Dunstable bypass as wonderful news. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Bedfordshire non-league side Alsey Town have been drawn away to 1987 winners Coventry in the first round of the FA Cup. Elsewhere, MK Dons will be away to Cambridge City. Stevenage go to Rotherham. Wickham are away to Crewe. Luton host Telford or Nuneaton. And Bishop Stortford are at home to Hastings. Boreham Wood won 3-2 at Hayes and Yedding yesterday to earn a home tie with Brentford. The first round ties will be next weekend, November the 4th and 5th. Watford start preparations for tomorrow night's championship championship trip to Cardiff with manager Gianfranco Zola signing out striker Fernando Forestieri from Saturday's win over Peterborough. Fernando is, uh, is, is playing very well I must say and uh, he just um, needs to be a little bit more cool when he's in front of the goalkeeper. If he does that then he's going to be a hell of a player. 
MK Dons will check on the extent of Stephen Gleeson's foot injury ahead of tomorrow's League One trip to Crawley. The midfielder was injured in Saturday's home defeat by Stevenage with manager Carl Robinson hoping to make a loan signing or look at his youth squad as injuries mount up. It also gives me the biggest challenge of my managerial life to go into now to pay the games with only probably four subs <laughs> is, uh, is going to be difficult. Maybe some of the youth team needs to stand up now and be counted and see what we've got in that bracket. In the Premier League, Sunderland earned a point in the Tyneweir derby against Newcastle, equalising four minutes from time as the game ended one all at the Stadium of Light. Meanwhile, QPR remained bottom of the table without a league win this season as they drew one all at home to Everton. That's your latest news and sport. More from me in half an hour. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. In the next half hour, uh, we'll be talking more about the PCC debate and the Dunstable Bypass. I'm going to let me finish this story that I was telling earlier on. So I was in Dunstable for the weekend to go to a haunted house. You'll hear that next week. And I was driving around just to kind of get a feel for the place and have a little look. And I saw the roadworks and the chippy and the news agents that we've, we've had on this show. And I stopped at some, some traffic lights. And I can tell you exactly where I was. If you know Dunstable, I was at the traffic lights that are just out, just by. There's a barber shop that's got loads of guitars in the window. Do you know it? It's got a double-headed guitar in the window and a guitar sign sticking out. And then about 100 yards down from that, there's a little alleyway, okay? So I saw an eight-year-old kid pull up on his bike and get out, get off his bike by the, the barbers. And I saw a guy in his 40s standing by the alleyway staring at this kid. And I pulled up next to the guy and I thought, this is a very inappropriate stare-off for an, a, an older gentleman to be staring at a child. And I wound down my window and I was going to say something to the bloke. And then... I heard the kids effing and jeffing at this bloke. It was, his, the, language, the language was incredible. And then the guy went, don't you dare use language like that in the, pub, in the street again. And then he walked off. I thought, oh, actually, I'd, I'd misjudged that situation. It was, the guy was in the right, the kid was being a little so-and-so. And then uh, a guy in his 70s walked out of the alleyway and heard this kid swearing and, and turned and looked at him. And this kid said, and I will censor it, Stop staring at me, you bleeping old bleep, otherwise I'll kick you in the bleeping bleep, you bleep. At the top of his... He was eight years old, this kid. The la- And he used... He used that swear word. Yeah, I know, that one. No, yes, that one. I couldn't believe it. Eight years old, effing and jeffing in the street, then my traffic lights changed and I drove off. Now, what I want to know is, would you have said something to that kid if you were there in the street. If I had been walking and not in the car... It, it, I don't know if I would have done. I don't know if I would have done. I'm not sure. I have spoken to little so-and-sos in the street before. There were some kids near me kicking a bus shelter. And I'll be honest, I used to do this. But they were trying to break the glass. And I went, Oi! Stop trying to kick that! Ah, oh, you can't break this, mister. I said, it doesn't matter. Stop vandalising it. I'll have to pay for that. And they gave me the... They politely said, well, stop. Then when I got a bit away, they started shouting at me and giving me the finger. Yeah, now I know. So when I started walking back, they ran away. Now, that was particularly foolish of me, and I was in quite a bad mood at the time. That's why I did it. But an eight-year-old swearing at an old man, would you have done anything? It's funny, I was speaking to Justin Dealey about this, and he said he wouldn't. He said five years ago he would have, he would have stepped in. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, we'll, we'll hear from him later. He said five years ago he'd have stepped in. Now... He wouldn't do it. He's, he, he's, he's worried. You never know what's going to happen. Could you give me a call and let me know? Either way, be honest about this. You see, see, see a kid swearing at an old man in the street. Would you step in? Would you do something? And what would you do? 
81333, starting your text 3CR, or give me a call 08459 455 555. Sounds like Ollie Moores is having a party in the recording studio. Good for him. Well done, Ollie. What a fun, bouncy song that is. Would you have done anything if you'd seen those kids swear? If I'd seen them swearing at Ollie Moores, I would probably have let it pass. If I'm honest. He can handle himself. He wears a pork pie hat. But would you? I didn't get involved because I was in the car. And I'm trying to think, would I have got involved if I hadn't been in the car? I tweeted this. Sean Parker, I I tweeted, would you have got involved? Sean Parker says, I would have made sure I tweeted about it the day after, rather than getting involved. Thank thank you, Sean. Yes, your dry point is taken. Thank you very much. But would you, if you saw some kids effing and jeffing, or vandalising something, or just being naughty in the street, would you get involved? 08459 455 555. Dunstable stays in the news because businesses in Dunstable have welcomed the long-anticipated Dunstable bypass. The development has finally been given the go-ahead by the Department of Transport. The road will link the A5 and the M1 and will cost, get this kids, £160 million. Work is due to start in when? Uh, 2014, that's right, two years. 
BBC Three Counties reporter Victoria Cook has been out to investigate why the bypass is needed and assess just how bad the traffic is. On Friday, she set herself an interesting challenge. Can you guess how long it took her to get from our newsroom in Luton to Dunstable at lunchtime on Friday? As it happens, and not a lot of people know this, I'm actually going to my very first Star Trek convention tomorrow and I haven't got anything to wear. Now, I know there's a fancy dress shop in Dunstable, so my plan of action is to leave the Three Counties newsroom car park and try and get to Dunstable, park wherever I can and get to the fancy dress shop, which is right in the centre of town, without it taking too long. My sat-nav says it should take me, well, just over 10 minutes to get there, so we'll see. Okay, I'm coming into Dunstable now. There's a fair amount of traffic. There's actually a lot of traffic coming the other way. Going into Dunstable from the Luton direction doesn't seem too bad. My sat-nav is set to take me to the Asda car park. Well, these roadworks certainly aren't helping things here in Dunstable. I'm barely doing a mile an hour, just very slowly crawling along. The lunchtime traffic combined with these roadworks really is creating a bottleneck in the town. Arriving at destination on left. And I've arrived at Asda's car park. Let's see what the time is. 1.31. So it's taken me 16 minutes to get from the Three Counties newsroom car park to the Asda car park. Obviously, I have to pay and display now and then walk over to the fancy dress shop. So let's see how long that takes. Here I am. I'm finally outside the fancy dress shop and it's nearly 20 to 2. Well, let's see if they've got my Star Trek outfit. So many... So many things about that story surprised me. The, the first one, of course, you know, is the length of time it took her. And uh, driving around Dunsport, it, it is a nightmare. But Victoria's a Star Trek fan. She, but she looks, she looks normal. She looks, she's an attractive young lady who looks, she, she, I've met her, she's very pleasant, very normal. Uh, Catherine Boyle, this, this is all kicking off here at uh, BBC Three Counties Radio. Catherine Boyle, the newsreader, has just messaged me. Star Trek convention. Three boring words put in one sentence. How rude. How rude. I like a bit of Star Trek. All the captains were there. Uh, Shatner, uh, Picard, Quantum Leap and the two others were there. Anyway, back to the, the story in hand. The, the bypass. The Dunstable bypass. What do you think? Will it encourage you to go shopping there? I, I haven't been to Dunstable for a long time. Saturday was my first visit in absolutely ages. And it was a nightmare to get around. If you, if you miss your turn, if you get caught in the wrong bit of traffic, that's it, you're screwed. You've got to go all the way around again. Uh, those roadworks outside the, the supermarket are a nightmare, aren't they? And I was there on a Saturday morning at sort of half ten. Wasn't that busy. Stopped off, had a coffee somewhere. It was very pleasant, but it, is it going to save Dunstable? I noticed there were quite a few uh, closed shops in Dunstable. It was a little bit run down in some places. There were some really good places there, don't get me wrong. But it, if you live in Dunstable, or if you've been shopping in Dunstable, or if you drive through Dunstable... Is this bypass that's not going to be started until 2014, is it going to save Dunstable? Or is it too little, too late?
08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a, a call on that. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that a bypass in two years' time, or that starts in two, two years' time, God knows when it's going to be finished. I'm not sure that that's going to be enough to, to swing things round for Dunstable. When you've got so many closed shops, no one knows which way they're going, and you've got eight-year-old kids like that effing and jeffing in the street, using indoor language in an outdoor setting. Is it too late for Dunstable? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. You can text as well. 81333, starting your text 3 cr You can tweet as well, as a lot of people have this morning, um, at Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E-E, or at BBC 3CR. John uh, Walvin has texted about telling kids off. Yes, I find I'm always telling kids off, especially for bad language in play parks near my six-year-old daughter. I've told adults off for swearing in the street. I've, oh, I've done that. I'll do that. Kids? Sarah Relton says, yeah, I'd have got involved. Did you? I didn't this time at the weekend, to my great shame. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Let's get the travel news. Let's go to Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Starting to look a little bit tricky out there at the moment. Anti-clockwise on the M25, we're getting the usual delays to Junction 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Again, between 21A at St Albans and 20 at Kings Langley. And also particularly slow at the moment, around 16 at the M40. Now heading south on the A1M, it is looking fairly slow as well between Junction 8 at Stevenage and 7 at the exit for Stevenage again. And uh, also on the A405 at North Orbital Road, a little bit heavy still just approaching the M25, Junction 20. 21A roundabout. Everything else, though, not looking too bad right now. It seems to be coping fairly well out there on the rest of the motorways, and the trains and the tubes are looking good as well. Don't forget, though, particularly foggy out there this morning, especially around Hertfordshire, so do be aware it is not looking that great for driving conditions. There's more in 15 minutes. Sophie, thank you very much. Good morning, it's 6.45. It's Monday, October the 22nd. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A BBC Panorama programme to be screened tonight will reveal new evidence about what the BBC knew about Jimmy Savile's decades of child abuse and why Newsnight shelved its own investigation into the scandal. A 31-year-old man will appear before magistrates today charged with murder and 13 counts of attempted murder after a series of hit-and-runs in Cardiff. In sport, Bedfordshire non-league side Alsley Town have been drawn away to 1987 winners Coventry in the first round proper of the FA Cup. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Some patchy rain to start, but becoming drier, a bit cloudy, dull and misty. Top temperature, 16 degrees. And coming up, the Jimmy Savile Charitable Trust is to hold a meeting on Monday the 22nd of October to discuss the news of the charity. Hey, that's today. We'll find out more after 7am. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every Monday to Saturday from 12, Nick Coffer. The thing about reading Julia Donaldson books is you read them and you think, I could have done that. I'll sweat blood and tears and write something and I want it to sound simple and if it does, I've succeeded but people think I might have written it on the back of an envelope. Nick Coffer. When did you first get a sense that you could write? I wrote a story about a rabbit with orange ears and this rabbit was being chased by a farmer and the rabbit went and hid in a shop. 
the nice shopkeeper told the, the farmer that they were just carrots. And so I suppose I was writing tricks to tales even when I was five or six years old. Nick Coffer, Monday to Saturday from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. You see some kids in the street causing mischief, not even mischief, effing and jeffing at an old man. Would you get involved? 08459 455 555. Tony's in Silverstone. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. What would you have done? Uh, I think I'd have walked on by. Why? Uh, well, I think in today's environment, if I said anything and the parents happened to come along, I would probably be the one accused of assaulting. So I would probably be arrested. Do you know what, Tony? I would have quite happily spoken to that kid's parents and, and yeah. told them they were setting up, that, that they had raised up a horrible little so-and-so that needed yeah. to, to be disciplined a bit more. Yeah, I understand that. But I think if, if an eight-year-old kid is behaving like that in public, obviously that's the environment yeah. he's been brought up in. So I don't think I change from the parents by, you know, encouraging the child to behave in a public place in a decent manner. You're right. You're, well, you're right, actually. What kind of sensible argument are you going to get from parents yeah. who have raised a child like that? So you would have, you'd have walked on... Is there anything that would cause you to stop and get involved, Tony? Well, obviously, if he had, if he had uh, assaulted the elderly gentleman... Yep. I think I would have to be, but if there's only a verbal assault, you left uh, it. You know, I think sometimes you go with the flow. You know, the adrenaline kicks in, and uh, you know, you don't think of the consequences. But Tony and Silverson, thank you very much. What would you have done, dear listener? Would you have got involved? I do feel. I don't feel bad I didn't get involved. I was in the car. The lights turned green. I had to green. I had to move on. If I had not been in the car, I think I would. I think I would have got involved. What would you have done? It's a tough one, isn't it? 08459 455 555. Tweet at BBC3CR. Or you can go to the Facebook page. Why don't you go and have a look at that? Facebook. Find BBC Three Counties Radio. There's about 1,500 likers on there. There's a couple of fake accounts. <gasps> Shocking. People pretending to be somebody else on the internet. I know. You can post up uh, on there what you would have done. You see some kids effing and jeffing in the street. An old man. Would you get involved? I don't want to talk About things we've gone through Though it's hurting me Now it's history I've played all my cards And that's what you've done too Nothing more to say No more ace to play The winner takes it all The loser standing small Beside the victory That's her destiny I was in your arms Thinking I belong there I figured it made sense Someone way down here loses some 
does it feel the same when she calls your name? Somewhere deep inside, you must know I miss you. But what can I say? Rules must be obeyed. The judges will decide. The lights of me. Shake my hand. I apologize if it makes you feel bad seeing me so tense. No self-confidence, but you see the winner takes. going to say who that was because I'm not going to patronise you. Now it's the final Police Commissioner Hustings on BBC Three Counties Radio later tonight. I don't know if you heard last week's with Roberto. Cracking bit of radio. Cracking. We've heard from the candidates in bed and the Thames Valley. It's the turn of Hertfordshire this evening. Uh, political reporter Paul Scoynes. I didn't know you were a political reporter. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Paul Scoynes is here. Uh, I, I think I know what these elections are about now. Are, are the public aware of them yet? There, there is still panic, isn't there, Paul? That people mm. don't know what they are and what's why they're important. That's right. No, the Home Office is sending out leaflets to all of you today, uh, and you should get a, a brochure explaining in minute detail exactly what they are. I mean, really, they are a replacement for the police authority at the moment. Uh, instead of a group of people running your police force. Uh, there'll be a single person, but they won't be able to interfere with the day-to-day policing. That's what they are, right. in essence. Um, do people know about them? Yeah, more than they did when we first started talking about this, I think, Ian, four yep. weeks ago. Um, YouGov did a poll last month, and of that around about 53% of people were aware of them. Right. Um, we've done our own survey over the weekend, actually, and it's a snapshot. It's not really a, a scientific survey. Only 300 people were questioned. Uh, this is some work that the University of Bedfordshire did for us, and they did a study a little uh, about four weeks ago and knowledge or awareness of the elections then was around 15 16 percent right and the figures they've got over this weekend show that it's risen to around 50 percent so in luton it's around 50 percent the stevenage questionnaire returned about 56 percent awareness and milton Keynes around 53 percent so it seems to be on the uh, on the rise as i say there'll be some booklets handed out by the home office today and they've also put this advert oh, together for you listen to this On the 15th of November, you'll have a vote. 
A vote to decide who will ensure your local police focus on tackling the crimes that matter to you most. A vote to decide who will oversee how your local crime-fighting budget is spent. A vote that could make a real difference to your community. On the 15th of November, vote for your local police and crime commissioner. To find out who your candidates are, visit choosemypcc.org.uk or call 0800 Calls from landlines are free, mobiles will be charged, charges may vary. Permission to speak freely, Paul. Go on. That's awful, isn't it? Yes. It's, it, it's, they do that thing, and I do like government adverts, because <laughs> they terrify you. Yeah. Hear the noise of those crimes yeah. taking place. It's almost like it was happening in your room. If, right if you don't vote, then this will happen to you. Oi, what are you looking at? That's not why I heard the kid in Dunstall say the other day. Uh, tell us about the Hearts candidates. Who have we got? Yeah, we've got four. Um, we've got a Labour candidate, Sherma Batson. She's a, a Stevenage councillor. Uh, David Lloyd, who's the currently the deputy leader of Hertfordshire County Council. He's a Conservative. He's also the current chair of the Police Authority. Uh, we've got Christopher Townsend, who's a Lib Dem. He's a local borough councillor in Decorum. And, as of Friday, so she's a late, a late entry, Marion Mason, who's the UKIP candidate. She's the former leader of the Conservative group on Stevenage Borough Council and she also stood as a UKIP MP in uh, Stevenage in 2010. She came fourth. When you tweeted that at the weekend, I, I misread it as Marilyn Manson. I thought, oh, <laughs> yeah. this thing suddenly got interesting. <laughs> but no, it's not the gothic rock star. That would have been amazing. <laughs> um, sadly, for, for us, if nothing else, uh, it's not. Marion seems a fairly, uh, well, she's a very ordinary person. So. Okay. Well, all the candidates have had to register now. Uh, and I know that... that, that some people have had to have kind of not made the grade as it were some of the names we've spoken about aren't now in the running. What's going on across all the other regions? That's right. So Sandra Glenn, who mm. was a Bedfordshire independent, she had to pull out on Friday, which was the deadline, um, because the money, the £5,000, uh, we've uh, we've talked about a few times, £5,000 wasn't paid in time. Ooh. She wasn't able to uh, to right. put that money into the, oh, yeah. into the account. And uh, apparently the council didn't take a debit card, which was why... <laughs> She wasn't able to do it, and Sorry? she hadn't realised beforehand. So oh. she's very disappointed to not be standing. However, I, I think she just put herself up so she got to meet Roberto. Well, that's what it was. That's the rumour. Okay, um, that's disappointing. That's disappointing. <laughs> uh, so for Bedfordshire, you've got Linda Jack, uh, who's the Liberal Democrat, Ollie Martins, who's the Labour candidate, Jazz Palmer, who's the Conservative candidate. We've also got an independent candidate, Rashid Mezanur. We don't know much about him at all. Um, Kevin Carroll is the British Freedom Party candidate. Now, mm. there have been reports over the weekend that uh, Mr Carroll was involved in some uh, in, in an arrest over the, the weekend over a uh, a nuisance. Uh, no, we don't know this for sure. We do don't we? know this, this for sure. on Twitter and various things on Twitter. Like that, yes. It has been reported in the local press. We're right. still waiting to stand that up. So until we, we know, we, we can't say that for sure. Uh, in the Thames Valley, we've got six candidates, two independents as well, interestingly. Uh, Patience Teo Owe, Barry Cooper, who's a UKIP, Jeff Howard, who's an independent. We've got John Housen for Lib Dems, Anthony Stansfield for Tories, and Tim Starkey for Labour. So we've got around 15 candidates okay. in our patch. In 30 seconds, mm. <laughs> can you explain how the voting works? Is it, I go in there and I put a cross by the name and that person gets my vote. Is that how it works? No. Ah. Ah. No, that's first past the post. This system uses something called supplementary votes, oh. uh, which means if you've ever elected a mayor in Bedford, for example, or Watford, you've used this before, you pick your first and then your second preference, and if no candidate gains 50% in their first round of voting, okay. then the other two candidates 
the two highest candidates go through and any other candidates, their second preference votes then go towards the final vote. What Does that ne- make any no, sense? No, what we need to do, what made sense was your <laughs> arm movements. We need to film Paul Scoynes, the political reporter, was dancing <laughs> how that works. We need to film you doing the raised arms and the lowered arms yeah. to indicate the different tiers yeah. and, and we'll put that up on the internet and that will explain it. Uh, but it's, on, it's all on Roberto's show Yeah, Roberto's last, last debate tonight with Hopshire. Okay. And then uh, I think there's a special phone-in. There's a show next week. Next think, week, yeah. Yes. All right, yeah. Paul, thank you very much. Always lovely to have you in. This no time problem, thank you, you. And have you recovered after your cheese fest? Yeah, I had a lot of cheese on Friday. You should fo- What's your Twitter name? Because people should follow you. Paul Scoynes, okay. A-C-O-I-N-F. Follow him because he posted a lot of cheese points <laughs> this weekend. It was very, very <laughs> dirty. Paul, thank you very much for that. 08459 455 555. Let's get the travel news. It's Sophie Tyler. and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Southbound on the M1, still looking particularly slow at the moment, just in junction 13 at Bedford and 12 at Flitwick. Now, anti-clockwise on the M25, usual delays still in place between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at Enfield. Again, between 21 at St Albans and 20 at Kings Langley, and also around 16 at the M40. Now, southbound on the A1M, still slow as well between junction 8 at Hitchin and 7 at Stevenage, and also looking particularly slow now in the usual trouble areas, heading south on the Barnet Bypass. Usual delays between Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass. Pass. Trains not looking too bad at all, but don't forget it is looking particularly foggy out there, so do be careful. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm so sorry. Thank you, Sophie. I'm so sorry. We are late for the news because I was discussing cheese porn with our political reporter. How- Daily Mail should launch an investigation immediately. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's seven o'clock. The headlines, Panorama probes Newsnight's Savile investigation, Wickham bodybuilder death investigated, and Salu welcomes Dunstable Bypass. BBC Three Counties Radio. A BBC Panorama programme to be shown tonight will reveal new evidence about why BBC Two's Newsnight shelved an investigation last December into allegations of sexual abuse by Jimmy Savile. In a BBC blog earlier this month, Newsnight's editor Peter Rippon said he'd taken the decision to drop it purely for editorial reasons. But Marion Jones, the producer working on the story told Panorama he was surprised by that decision. Ever since the decision was taken to shelve our story, I've not been happy with public statements made by the BBC. I think they're very misleading about the nature of the investigation we were doing. Police in Cardiff have charged a 31-year-old man with murder and 13 counts of attempted murder in connection with a series of hit-and-run incidents in the city on Friday. Karina Menzies, who was 31, died after being knocked over by a van. BBC News has uncovered evidence that South Yorkshire police told officers what to write in statements they made after clashes with striking miners at the Orgreave Cokeworks in 1984. Last month, an independent panel found the force had altered 116 police statements made about the Hillsborough disaster in 1989 to remove criticism of senior detectives. The force is considering a review of the new claims, as Dan Johnson reports. Orgreave was the most violent confrontation of the year-long miner strike. 10,000 pickets battled 5,000 police. There were injuries on both sides. 93 miners were arrested. Many went on trial accused of riot. At the time, a conviction could result in a life sentence. But it became clear police evidence was unreliable and the miners were all acquitted. Now officers have come forward to say South Yorkshire detectives dictated at least part of their statements. 
Police are investigating whether the death of a man in High Wycombe was connected with the use of performance-enhancing drugs. 28-year-old Sean Clitheroe is thought to have acquired DNP at a local gym. The drug is used by bodybuilders to burn fat but can have serious side effects. The MP for South West Bedfordshire, Andrew Salou, has welcomed the approval of the Dunstable Bypass as wonderful news. The long-anticipated project has become a reality after the Department of Transport gave the go-ahead on Friday. The road will link the A5 and M1 and cost £100. Million. In sport, one of the smallest clubs left in the FA Cup have drawn one of the largest. Arlesey Town will play away to Coventry City when the FA Cup first round proper takes place on the 3rd and 4th of November. Luton play at Kenilworth Road against either Telford or Nuneaton. MK Dons are away to Cambridge City. Stevenage are away to Rotherham. Wickham are away to Crewe. Bishop Stortford are at home against Hastings United and Boreham Wood will host Brentford. As for the weather, some patchy rain to start but becoming drier, albeit cloudy, dull and misty. Top temperature today 16 degrees celsius that's 61 fahrenheit there's more news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties bbc three counties radio first for news oh sorry catherine trigger happy you see good morning this is ian lee bbc three counties radio it's monday i'm allowed to be a little bit you know bad when it comes to the technicals on a monday aren't i you wait till you hear me tomorrow. I'm, I'm taking my wife to see a J-Lo concert, I believe. Her name is Jennifer Lopez. Um, and it means I'm going to get like 20 minutes sleep before the show. So uh, <laughs> if, if you want to hear a car crash on the radio, I would recommend tuning in tomorrow morning at 6am for some of that. Uh, in the next hour of the show, lots more coming up, including more questions for the BBC over Jimmy Savile. It's on the front page of most of the newspapers. The Dunstable Bypass gets the go-ahead, but will it really make a difference to the town? Isn't Dunstable beyond saving? And I saw a kid, about eight years old, bad-mouthing a 70-year-old man at the weekend. I didn't get involved. Would you have got involved? 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. If you missed the story um, about what I saw at the weekend, I'll, I'll tell you again in a little bit. It was, it was the language coming from this kid's mouth. He used that word. Yeah, no. Yes, that one. I know. And a 70-year-old man. I didn't even know that word until I was 18 years old. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on as well, if you want to give us a call. 08459 455 555. Or you can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Uh, You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. And don't forget, of course, if you go to the Facebook page, facebook.com, and you find the BBC Three Counties page, there's about 1,500 likers on there. Um, That will, you know, kind of, um, you can post on there about bits and pieces as well. A BBC Panorama programme to be screened tonight will reveal new evidence about what the BBC knew about Jimmy Savile's decades of child abuse and why Newsnight uh, shelved its own investigation into the scandal. The BBC has denied claims that pressure was put on Newsnight to drop its report because of plans to screen tributes to Jimmy Savile. The script included a report of sexual abuse of a teenager at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. Also tonight, the Jimmy Savile Charitable Trust will hold a meeting to discuss the name of the charity. But how do you go about changing your brand? Simon Middleton is a brand consultant and author of the book Build a Brand in 30 Days. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, how are you? Uh, Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. How much of an effect do you think allegations like this could have 
on a brand. It, it's, it's named the Jimmy Savile Charitable Trust. They're stuffed, aren't they? Uh, I think it's time for them to take a very serious decision, which I understand they're going to examine today. Yeah. If, if they were my client, I would be giving them some fairly clear advice, and it's simply this, that you should focus on the work that the Charitable Trust does and dump the name. Reinvent. How easy... Because I think it's a toxic name now. Well, well of course it is, isn't it? Um, we spoke to them last week and they were umming and ahhing. How easy is it to, to, to rebrand something completely? Well, it's, it's always a challenge. It's expensive, for one thing, because it involves a lot of different aspects of communication. But it can sometimes be an opportunity for a kind of rebirth, mm. and it happens in the commercial world all the time. Um, it ha you know, big companies change their names on a fairly regular basis, really, either because they merge or they sell out or they grow or they change direction. It's less common for people to do it because of sort of crisis like this, but I think it's the wise thing. The sooner they move on from the ghastly sort of uh, resonances that that name now has and refocus on the good work that they undoubtedly do, the better off they will be and they will be able to look back on it in a couple of years as, you know, a, 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 bra uh, a difficult decision well made. If they hold on to the name, they can only continue to suffer, I would have thought. Very quickly, Simon, because I know we're running out of time. The BBC as a brand is now damaged. What can they do? Well, the BBC, yes, it, w it will be tarnished by this whole affair. The, the advice I generally give to, and I'd give it to the BBC as much as anyone else, is to be o as open and as honest and clear as you can possibly be about what you're doing to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again, to apologise where it's necessary, and most of all, to communicate, not hide things. And then the brand will recover. Simon, thank you very much. Simon Milton, brand consultant, author of the book Build a Brand in 30 Days. Um, we'll be finding out tomorrow what happens to the name of the Jimmy Savile Charitable Trust. You may remember we spoke to someone, I think last week, maybe the week before, uh, a representative from it, and they were that when these allegations first came out, and they weren't quite sure what they were going to do, but it, 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 they're obviously going to change that name, aren't they? And I think they have to say, look, this is nothing to do with us. We didn't have a clue. We've raised this amount of money. We're changing our name to such and such. Hey, I'll put my name on it if you want. I'll put my name on it. Why, why, why not? Why not? Um, David Luton has texted in uh, about the incident I saw. I saw an eight-year-old kid effing and jeffing at a 70-year-old man in three. It was disgusting. The language, I was, uh, I was in my car. I was in Dunstable. And if you know Dunstable, the kid was stood outside the, uh, the barbers with all the guitars in. Nothing to do with the barbers, but he was, that's where he was. And the old guy was, there's an alleyway, about 50 yards, 60 yards down from there. And the old guy was in there. David's texted in, 81333. Starting his text 3CR. Why don't you get out of your car and you two men make a citizen arrest uh, upon an eight-year-old or rung the police? Well, listen, Dave, right? I'm not going to get out of my car and arrest an eight-year-old. I'm not going to arrest an eight-year-old. Imagine what that would have looked like. You think Savile's in trouble. The, the local radio breakfast host manhandles eight-year-old child in the street. No, 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 no. That's, that, that's not going to happen. Uh, John says, welcome to Dunstable, and yes, I would have done something. I did shut up a couple of boys before. Isabella says, I would have said something to the child. The elderly person, more than likely, fought for our country and needed respect. Well, no, hang on. Whoa, hey, we don't know. Yes, he was old. Doesn't mean he was in the war. Uh, the kids are only repeating at home. Uh, Sandy, uh, Lee from Sandy, sorry. Good morning. Regarding kids effing and jeffing, I would not get involved but would call the police as I had an altercation with a group of 12 and 14-year-olds swearing and being a nuisance at our son's bedtime. 
And when my wife asked them to keep the noise down, they verbally abused her, to which I then confronted the youth, and because I held his arm... Oh, Lee, I was on your side until then. Because I held his arm while giving him a telling off, I now have a criminal record for battery. So let the police sort it out. Lee, you know this now. You can't touch them. You can't touch them. I wouldn't have touched this, kid. Um, and one more email on the Dunstable uh, kid. Before you judge a child's behaviour in the parenting, stop and think about this. I teach and I've seen... I teach and I've seen children with severe learning difficulties swearing and hitting parents, where I know the background and that they've brought up the child to be model human beings. Often naughty children are these kids, so interfering would be wrong on so many levels, not least the embarrassment and helplessness the parent feels. Sue, no. No, Sue. If you've got a kid, Sue, who's eight and swears in the street like that, and it's because they have a mental condition, right, then you shouldn't let that kid out on their own. This kid was on his own, and then he met up with a group of other kids. He was riding a bike, and then he met some other kids. No. So that's not acceptable. Even if they have got a mental condition, then, then that eight-year-old shouldn't have been on their own. Absolutely wrong. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. We've got an email about Dunstable. We'll read that a bit later on. Because I want to move on. You may have been reluctant uh, so far to put your heating on because you're worried about how much your fuel bills will cost. 98,000 people have sought help from Citizens Advice Bureau in the last year. Well, it's National Energy Week, and Ofgem, the regulator, is calling for change. They want the big six energy suppliers, owning 98% of the market, to limit their tariffs, making it easier for people to switch to the cheapest. Justin Dealey is with James Stevens from the Luton Senior People's Forum at his home in Luton. Morning, Justin. Morning, Ian. I have to say, I've not put my heating on so far. Have you not? No extra jumpers for myself. I just refuse to give these companies more money. I I must admit, I must admit, uh, Justin, that we put our heating on in September. I was reluctant, but even with a couple of jumpers, it was cold. And in saying that, I got a cold last week, so it's my own fault, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, as you say, I'm with James. Uh, James, you have changed your tariff. You are saving money. How much money are you saving? Well, the pr- proposed new tariff that I've just gone on to, they say will save me at least 6% of my heating and lighting bills. Mm, so clearly you're delighted with that. Now, you're from the Luton at Senior People's Forum. What are people saying to you? Are they struggling to pay for their heating? bills the older people are not struggling to pay for the heating bills they are coping the biggest problem they're getting is how to use their money with eating and heating and eating one of the ways they can struggle with the heating is by putting on like we used to in my younger days put another jumper on put a coat on or go out and visit somebody that you know has got heating on and that saves your own home from the heating and go out to these places where you can have a hot meal in the, in a church hall or something like that and that is a great way of saving the money. Do you think that more pensioners are struggling? They're not just saying because, and I can understand this, there is a major pride thing here. I think this is the pride. A lot of pe- married pensioners, where both parties are, know how to struggle and cope with things it's the widows that are problem because they haven't got that added companionship and they become very lonely and then but the trouble with pensions is they won't ask they will receive but they will not ask they will try to cope on their own Okay, so clearly that there is a pride thing. Your advice would be go and look at a tariff. It it may be daunting at first, but for goodness sake, just do it because you could be saving a lot of money here. It is, and and if you're frightened to do it, get a friend. Find out what friends are using, who they're using, which company they're using, and then go in and find out for yourself. 
Okay, just lastly, um, Ian, one of your talking points this yes. morning, I'm going to bring James into this. Uh, James is an 81-year-old pensioner, and uh, you're talking about this young child in Dunstable around, what, eight years old at the yeah. weekend, swearing at a 70-year-old man. Uh, James, if you saw that happening in Dunstable or in your hometown here in Luton, would you get involved? Would you intervene? I wouldn't intervene. I would go up and I would stand. I walk with a stick. And the fact that I'm there with a stick and um, with a piercing eye that I've got as an ex-police officer, sometimes this happens and they go away and they re change their remarks to me. But of course we don't know what the reason was as what the man had done or what the child had done beforehand. So you would actually phone the police? Get I, the police to do their job, not you? Yes, draw out your phone, phone the police, let the police deal with it because you will get into trouble and the boy would go away laughing promoting what he's done to all his friends. James, appreciate your time. That's James Stevens. He's from the uh, Luton Senior People's Forum. And uh, James saying there, quite interestingly, it's not just uh, heating. The main issue really is food. And when I think about my food bills yeah. year on year, they've gone up drastically. James saying that's where the major problem is right now. And you've not put your heating on yet, Justin? Not yet. Wow. No, I mean, I, I, li I live in a flat. <laughs> I mean, I live in a flat, thankfully, so I'm surrounded by heat. But, um... I just don't want these really expensive bills. I went out last year, I bought myself some thermal vests, which is not particularly very sexy, uh, but I bought them and I keep myself warm that way. <laughs> oh, man. He just, just right at the last minute, he puts in that image, doesn't he? It was going so well. Now I've got an image of Dealey in a thermal vest. Thank you, Justin. Excellent as always. Eggs, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still looking a little bit tricky at the moment, anti-clockwise on the M25. Usual delays, though, at the moment, particularly between 27 at the M11 and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Also between 21A at St Albans and 20 at Kings Langley. And again at 18 at Chorleywood, 3 to 16 at the M40. Now heading south on the A1, we are looking at some problems at the moment between 13 at Bedford and 12 at Flittick. And again between Junction 10 at Luton Airport and 9 at Redbourne. Now elsewhere, also northbound on the M40, we're getting reports coming in. The one lane is blocked and there's queuing traffic following a broken down vehicle. Now it's just in Junction 1 at the Denham Roundabout and southbound on the Barnet Bypass. Usual delays, I'm afraid, between the Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass. Now on the trains as well, we are looking at uh, no problems at the moment. They're all looking fairly good and the tubes also running nicely. Don't forget though, it is particularly foggy out there. Not very nice driving conditions, so do be careful. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Good morning, it's 8, uh, 7, 17, calm down. 717. Monday the 22nd of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A BBC Panorama programme to be shown tonight will reveal new evidence about why BBC Two's Newsnight shelved an investigation last December into allegations of sexual abuse by Jimmy Savile. Police in Cardiff have charged a 31-year-old man with murder and 13 counts of attempted murder in connection with a series of hit-and-run incidents in the city on Friday. In sport, Bedfordshire non-league side Alsey Town have been drawn away to 1987 winners Coventry in the first round of the FA Cup. We'll have a full weather bulletin with Steve Weston shortly and coming up before 7.30 we'll hear more about the planned Dunstable bypass and we'll be speaking to Conservative MP for South West Bedfordshire about the plans. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday morning from nine, Jonathan Vernon Smith. It's National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Chris was diagnosed with breast cancer back in 1996. I kept telling myself, Chris, keep positive. 
you're going to beat this. How did you feel? If I hadn't gone for that x-ray, I sometimes sit and wonder what would be today's prognosis. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. No matter what journey women go on when they have breast cancer, of course the most important thing is that you get rid of that cancer and thankfully, 16 years on, you're with us and you've got rid of it. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Weekday mornings from 9 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, you may have heard that the Dunstable Bypass has got the thumbs up. It's going to cost £160 million. It'll link the A5 and the M1. Uh, it won't be started till 2014. Uh, well, Milton Keynes uh, councillor from UKIP, Lee Barney, got in touch with us via Twitter. He's on the line now. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. Is this good news for Dunstable? Uh, it might very well be good news for Dunstable, but I'm worried about the, the upstream traffic going up towards Milton Keynes and how the, the, the junction, as it's added onto the M1, in, in conjunction with uh, Junction A, uh, sorry, 9A up at Luton, will have on people coming up to, say, Milton Keynes. And, you know, what, what effect that will have on our tourism. How will that affect Milton Keynes? Well, are you saying that less people will go to Milton Keynes because of this? I'm not sure it'll be le- less people, but it, it will certainly have a, a, an added factor when, when you're considering travelling up to Milton Keynes from south. Um, with the with the roadworks that will slow down traffic as it has done already with the the roadworks that are on the M1 as it is, they're due to finish uh, in spring 2013. As I understand, the uh, Luton uh, edition, the new junction there, is is due to start in 2014, early 2014. I should imagine, although I admit I don't know exactly when the Dunstable bypass will start, but that will then you know follow on very quickly afterwards, and we'll just have constant roadworks on the M1. But roadworks are a factor of life, aren't they, on motorways? Like, yeah, yes and no. Yes, in, in, in the case of, you know, you can expect minor disruptions mm. on, on any motorway journey. I use the M1 and the M25 every day. But my concern is, is the ongoing and prolonged effect has a negative impact when people consider moving up, up, you know, going up to, say, Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes is about 60 miles away from London. If you think about coming up for a, a day trip, yes, I fully recommend it. It's a fantastic place to visit and stay. But if you're going to be going up on the M1, the roadworks will be definitely a, a consideration in your travel plans. Lee Barney, Milton Keynes Councillor for UKIP, stay there, because on the line we've also got uh, Andrew Salou, who is the Conservative MP for South West Bedfordshire. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. I don't know if you heard Lee there. He's a Milton Keynes councillor. He's worried that this bypass is going to be damaging to Milton Keynes. Um, I I really don't think it's going to be damaging to Milton Keynes um, at all because uh, the hard shoulder works on the M1, they were already in place to speed up the traffic north-south up and down the M1. The A5 M1 link um, is purely going to to help uh, Dunstable, Houghton Regis, Leighton, Balsford, all the villages around Aylesbury, providing a vital east-west link and getting all the terrible congestion out of um, Dunstable and Houghton Regis High Streets in particular. So it's going to have no effect on Milton Keynes? Uh, this road is being built to uh, bring mm. back a decent quality of life yeah. for Dunstable, for Houghton Regis, uh, for the surrounding villages. It's really going to help the whole area perform... That's excellent, uh, Andrew. I'm going to ask the question again. It'll have no effect on Milton Keynes, question mark. Of course the road won't have an effect on Milton Keynes. It's Lee, being built... Lee, it won't have any effect on you whatsoever. You're worrying about nothing. <laughs> if only that was, was going to be true. I'm, I'm just on a service station at the moment on the M1, and I, and I can tell you that the... the the roadworks there, as they are, do cause considerable disruption. And I can only picture what it's going to be like at Dunstable, given that it's close proximity to the, to the entrance from the M25. And the knock-on effect that will have on the M25 itself, which is it stands for the best of times as it is. Andrew, very quickly, back on that. Well, look, this is completely ridiculous. The idea that Dunstable and Houghton Regis and surrounding villages shouldn't get the bypass they've needed for 50 years because of disruption during roadworks is frankly um, uh, laughable. 
to be honest. You know, it, it's our turn to get this road to make sure that our town works. We put up with unbelievable congestion. We need this bypass. You know, of course, there's always uh, some inconvenience during any road work. Andrew, but- listen, stay there. Andrew Salou MP. We will be back to, to discuss this further. I must just go over to Steve and get the weather. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yeah, morning. Bit of patchy rain just to clear and then becoming a bit drier but staying cloudy, dull and misty right the way through the day. Top temperatures 16 Celsius, 61 Fahrenheit with the winds like northeasterly. Some clearer spells overnight but staying cloudy and mild with mist or fog reforming. The lowest temperature overnight 12 Celsius, 54 Fahrenheit, still with a light northeasterly breeze. Little change for Tuesday, mist and fog live, lifting into sort of uh, low clouds, perhaps some brighter spells in the afternoon. Wednesday, again, little change, cloudy, dull and misty with patchy light rain or drizzle and still mild. Thursday, cloudy with the odd spot of rain, but Thursday night into Friday, things have a fairly dramatic change. So Friday, dry and bright with sunny spells, but feeling much colder. Temperatures taking a drop of probably five six or seven degrees so much colder by the end of the week and next weekend there's your forecast from me steve weston thank you very much steve now you may have just heard us talking about the uh, dunstable bypass that has finally got the thumbs up from the department for transport the road will link the a5 and the m1 it'll cost 160 million pounds work is due to start in 2014 just before the weather we were speaking to andrew salu he's the conservative mp for southwest Be- southwest bedfordshire it's easy for you to say so andrew just remind us why do you think this bypass is necessary because the traffic jams in uh, Dunstable in particular, but also uh, Houghton Regis and the rat running in the, through the surrounding villages is just appalling. And it's really held back um, both those towns in terms of their ability to create jobs and attract businesses and help businesses to grow in the area. Levels of traffic pollution are much too high. People are going to be able to get in and out of Dunstable, Houghton Regis easily. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a good means for people from uh, Aylesbury and Leighton Buzzard to get straight onto the uh, M1 north of Dunstable without having to go through Toddington uh, or Dunstable itself. Our, our region really lacks good uh, east-west links. We've got lots of good north-south links with the A1 and the M1. Um, this road is absolutely necessary. It's going to create lots of extra jobs. It's going to enable some more housing to be built. Uh, we have been waiting for it for a very, very you, long you time it's, indeed. It's, it's, this has been talked about for forever, it seems. Why has it taken so long to get the thumbs up? Well, uh, that's a, a very good question, and, it, and it's frankly uh, just unacceptable how long it takes to get roads built in this country. I mean, Alistair Darling announced this road would be built when he was Transport wow. Secretary back in 2003. You know, I mean, it's now uh, nine years later, and, it, you know, the road's not going to be built till 11 years after he actually So 2014, it. it starts. How, how Do we know how long it will take? To build a road. Well, I think sort of 2016, 2017, wow. it, it should be um, open. Unfortunately, there are two lots of power lines that need, need to be moved yeah. uh, before they can start the main works. So they can only do that over the summer when um, usage is a bit less, as we don't want to... So if the road's right not going to be ready for another five years, and Dunstable, I was at Dunstable at the weekend, it was... It's not in the greatest state... Is it too late to save Dunstable five Absolutely years away? Absolutely not. No, no, this is, it. This is uh, something I have to deal with on Friday night. It's certainly not too late for Dunstable. Dunstable is a great town with an even greater future. We've also got the town centre master plan proposals. We're going to remodel the town centre, a new wonderful pedestrian walkway from Grove House Gardens through to the Priory Church, new anchor stores, cafe-style sort of uh, pedestrian 
shopping and so on. So the, the town has a fantastic future. We've got the new University, te- university Technical College, a new business incubation centre. There's lots me. coming right for Dunstable Andrew, at the quickly, moment. I was in Dunstable at the weekend. I yeah. saw an eight-year-old lad using the foulest of language I've ever heard in the high street, outside mm. that little barber's with the guitars in, effing and jeffing at a 70-year-old man. I was in my car. I yeah. didn't get involved. If you'd have been there walking past, would you have done something? I hope I would have said something. I mean, I don't know the actual circumstances. I mean, I, I, you know, there, there's just no place for that, is it? Particularly as a 70-year-old man, that really upsets me. And I think all of us as decent, upright citizens, you know, we, we do have a duty um, to make sure that people speak in a civilised manner. You know, whether we're talking about members of parliament or whether we're talking about young people in Dunstable, you know, proper civilised language. Is Thank you very much. Andrew Shilley, we have to move on. He's the Conservative MP for South West Bedfordshire. I can't say South West. South West. I don't know why that's happening. Well, anyway, earlier on, we played a report from uh, our reporter, Victoria Cook. Uh, Her mission was to get to Dunstable on Friday lunchtime to investigate the traffic. Can you guess how long it took her to get from our newsroom in Luton to the town centre? Have a listen to this. As it happens, and not a lot of people know this, I'm actually going to my very first Star Trek convention tomorrow, and I haven't got anything to wear. Now, I know there's a fancy dress shop in Dunstable, so my plan of action is to leave the Three Counties newsroom car park and try and get to Dunstable, park wherever I can, and get to the fancy dress shop, which is right in the centre of town, without it taking too long. My sat-nav says it should take me, well, just over ten minutes to get there, so we'll see. Okay, I'm coming into Dunstable now. There's a fair amount of traffic. There's actually a lot of traffic coming the other way. Going into Dunstable from the Luton direction doesn't seem too bad. My sat-nav is set to take me to the Asda car park. Well, these roadworks certainly aren't helping things here in Dunstable. I'm barely doing a mile an hour, just very slowly crawling along. The lunchtime traffic combined with these roadworks really is creating a bottleneck in the town. Arriving at destination on left. And I've arrived at Asda's car park. Let's see what the time is. 1.31. So it's taken me 16 minutes to get from the Three Counties newsroom car park to the Asda car park. Obviously, I have to pay and display now and then walk over to the fancy dress shop. So let's see how long that takes. Here I am. I'm finally outside the fancy dress shop and it's nearly 20 to 2. Well, let's see if I've got my Star Trek outfit. Too late for Dunstable? 08459 455 555. Let's get the travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Southbound on the M1, we are looking at delays at the moment between Junction 14 at Milton Keynes and 12 at Flittick. It's going to take you around 40 minutes to get through that stretch. It's also fairly slow again, just between Junction 11 at Dunstable and 10 at Luton Airport. Now, anti-clockwise on the M25, it is slow between Waltham Abbey at 26 and Enfield at 25. And again, between uh, Junction 21A at St Albans all the way through to 15 at the M4. It's going to take you over an hour to get through that stretch, I'm afraid. And northbound on the M40 as well, fairly slow 
following an earlier broken down vehicle that's just around Junction 1 at the Denham roundabout. Now the Barnet Bypass is also sloped in the Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass and southbound on the A10. 15 minute delays just between at Turnford and uh, the A121 at Winston Churchill Way. Everything else not looking too bad. Trains are running to time at the moment but it is still looking particularly foggy out there. Conditions not great to be driving in so do please be careful. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much Sophie. It's 7.30. Let's get the latest news and sport now with Catherine. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines, a BBC Panorama programme to be shown tonight, will reveal new evidence about why BBC Two's Newsnight shelved an investigation last December into allegations of sexual abuse by Sir Jimmy Savile. Police in Cardiff have charged a 31-year-old man with murder and 13 counts of attempted murder in connection with a series of hit-and-run incidents in the city on Friday. And police are investigating whether the death of a man in High Wycombe was connected with the use of performance-enhancing drugs. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Beverton non-league side Arlsey Town have been drawn away to 1987 winners Coventry in the first round of the FA Cup. Elsewhere, MK Dons will be away to Cambridge City, Stevenage go to Rotherham, Wickham are away to Crewe, Luton holds Telford or Non-Eaton and Bishop Stortford at home to Hastings. Boreham Wood won 3-2 at Hayes and Yedding yesterday to earn a home tie with Brentford. The first ties will be next, the first round ties will be next weekend. That's the November and 4th and 5th. Watford start preparations for tomorrow night's championship trip to Cardiff with manager Gianfranco Zola pleased to see a fighting spirit in Saturday's win over Peterborough. Glad and delighted that my team, you know, some of the players, they put their bodies on the line and it's fantastic to see them. It means, uh, it means a lot. It, it tells you a lot how much, uh, a lot how much they care about, the, about, uh, about this team. Milton Keynes Dons will check on the extent of Stephen Gleeson's foot injury ahead of tomorrow's League One trip to Crawley. The midfielder was injured on Saturday's home in Saturday's home defeat by Stevenage, with manager Carl Robinson hoping to make a loan signing as injuries mount up. Stevenage, meanwhile, prepare to host Portsmouth tomorrow with Saturday's win, leaving Gary Smith's side just four points behind leaders Tranmere. We've, we've closed the gap a little bit. Uh, honestly, it, it sounds like a little bit of a cliche, but we've had a really good run. We want to keep that run going. Anybody who watched the game today will realise that there are parts of our game that we still need to improve. Finally, in ice hockey, Milton Keynes Lightning beat Manchester Phoenix 8-2 in the English Premier League last night. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me in half an hour. The BBC in beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Morning. Three Counties Radio. Uh, lots coming up in the next half hour, including um, we find out what's happening with Biggleswade Hospital. Uh, more about what would you do if you saw a kid swearing in the street? Would you get involved? And if you won the lottery, like a load of money on the lottery, what would you do with it? Like millions of pounds. Oh, I'd, I'd keep on working. It wouldn't. Ch- I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd be out of here like a shot. I don't do this for the. I don't do it for the pleasure of it. I do it so the kids can eat. Okay, I'm lucky. I do quite enjoy my job, and, and I'm, I'm lucky in that respect. But if I won millions of pounds, do, do you know what? If I won millions, of, if I won like thirty million pounds or something, I would probably come on, come on here, do the normal show, then about halfway through, just just start speaking like that eight year old did in in the street the other day, and and get the boot in spectacular circumstances. Luckily, I don't play the lottery because uh, I know the lottery is an idiot's tax. It is. It is. It is. I say that though. The next person I'm about to speak to went over a million quid. Imagine that. Um, a, the National Lottery has now passed the milestone of creating its three thousandth millionaire. But how many of them kept working uh, after winning big? 
A survey of those winners has found 40% of them kept working straight after their windfalls. 20% never stopped working. Well, as I just mentioned, my next guest, uh, guest is Julie Jeffrey from Watford. You won over a million pounds, Julie, and then went back to work. Well, that's right, yes, Ian. Um, but you've got, I think you have to look at it in the amounts. And as you say, I, I did win just over a million pounds, yeah. and my husband and I were in our early 40s at the time. So yeah. You're not going to be able to live on that forever, are you? realistic, no. It's a fabulous amount of mm. money, but, yeah, being realistic, it's not going to last forever. So, yeah, some of us, I wouldn't say have no choice but to go back to work, but um, some of us do choose to work. May uh, I ask, Julie, what do, you, what do you do for a living? I've got an, a very horrible job. I work at a fire station cooking for firemen. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, those horrible, big, muscly, sweaty men, Julie. <laughs> after your bacon rashes and you, you're getting some precisely, of your eggs. Precisely, precisely. What an awful job. You, you know, you'd want to give it up straight away, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> I, could, I, could, I, I would think that perhaps you paid to get that job. You made a donation. Oh, no, no, I didn't do that. Did no. you? When you... OK, so look, you, you, you... Tell me, talk about... Talk me through how you realised you won. Were you at home watching the telly and you kind of called your husband in? How, how, did, how did you find out? I was actually checking the weather report in the paper yeah. and um, just under, in the paper I get just under the weather report it used to give you the lottery numbers and sort of you glance at the numbers and you think oh I think I recognise those so went downstairs got my ticket to check it don't know why I've brought the same numbers every, every lottery since it had started yeah. and then realised that uh, actually yes we had one so I went, went back upstairs to my husband and he sort of said, what's wrong? Because I'd stopped talking at that time. And that's very <laughs> you, you knew something was up then, yes. yes. <laughs> so I gave him the paper, he had a look and sort of said, oh, bother. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, we phoned Camelot up, who don't open until nine in the morning, so we couldn't talk to anyone. And so I decided, well, we might as well just go to work, as you said you would. <laughs> Julie, can I ask, when you found out, listen, a million pounds is a lot of money, yeah. I'm not knocking it, when you found out it was only a million, though, was a little bit of you disappointed? Um, be honest. T- to be perfectly honest, initially, no. Initially, because we won, won 1,038,000. Yeah. And for the first few days, I was thinking, just take the million, give me the 38,000, because I can understand that. Yeah. That yeah, makes yeah. sense to me. It wasn't until several months later, and we were on holiday, and I suddenly said, do you know, a bit more would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, never enough. And I bet the £30 million winners, a few months later, were thinking, oh, 50 million quid would have been yeah, nice. I th- I th- I don't know if it tells you in, in the surveys they do, but I think you find the vast majority of us carry on playing the lottery because you never no. know. Oh, Julie, you no. How <laughs> ma- okay, well, how, do we know how many people have won over a million twice? I bet it's none. To my knowledge, none. Yeah. Um, but that would very much depend on whether they took publicity or not. If they didn't take right. publicity, yeah. then we'd probably never know. So there is a possibility. You're slowly it giving happened. Camelot all that money back, drip by drip. Yeah, but for a one pound, yeah, yeah it's a, it's the best club you can join for a pound. Okay, so you you, <laughs> you you win the you win the money. You go to work the next day. Yeah. Did you did you tell anybody? Um, I managed not to tell anyone for about twenty minutes. <laughs> it might not have been quite that long, but yeah, you know, sort of that sort of amount of time. And then what happened? You just went to to Steve, the hunky fireman. Steve, I've won a million pounds. <laughs> Make love to me, Steve. Did you say that? Oh, God, that no, no, I no. work with them. I know what they're like. Oh dear. <laughs> No, no, they were trying to wind me up, which is their favourite occupation. Of course. And I just turned around and said, Nat, today you won't wind me up. And they're going, why not? I'm not telling you. <laughs> said, I'll tell us. So I, I did tell them, and they, the two I told did keep it secret for about ten minutes. What so. fun. How long ago did you win it, Julie? Uh, just over ten years now. Have you got any of it left? Uh, enough. 
enough. Right. Obviously, we um, our kids each had a small trust fund to help yeah. set them up. Um, Have you spent a million gave, pounds in ten years? Yeah, I'll tell you what. It, if you look at it realistically, it would be so easy. Yeah. Um, if you haven't got your own home, buying a house in this sort of area, even for a semi, you're looking at three hundred thousand plus. Yeah. So that's a third of it gone. And then some holidays. You, you give, we gave away a hundred thousand pound in the first week without, you know, to the kids and putting money away to ourselves. Was there? Um, I, I've always thought right that if I won, um, uh, say, a million pounds on the lottery, mm-hmm. I would give a, a, a big chunk to my sister. Yeah. But was <laughs> I would worry that bits of my fa- parts of my family go. Well, hang on, he won a million. He's only given me fifty grand. That's a bit. Was, <laughs> was there any? That's a little bit tight. I think we we sort of said from when we first won that as many people as within the close family would get money, but my husband's one of four children, I'm, I've got a sister, so you you have to be realistic if you want to look after yourselves, yeah. that might sound selfish, but you do have to look after yourselves, and then you have to be realistic about what you can happily afford to give away, and then I think everyone does it differently, we gave everyone equal amounts, but different people do it you know, choose to do it different ways. What was the most decadent, pointless, ridiculous thing you bought, Julie? <laughs> you know there's something, isn't there? Um, I did buy a really nice diamond that I don't wear very often. Good for you. Well done. But um, I, do have, I do have a certified... It's not huge, but I do have a certified diamond, just because I wanted to say I'd got one. Did you, good for you, and why not? And why not? No, exactly. It, it you, wasn't horrendous money, you know. And did you get, we always hear stories about people getting begging letters and, and, and people knocking on the door. Did, yeah. did you get any of that? Uh, we had one begging letter from my husband's closest friend, which was about two sides of A4 long. Um, but well, obviously that was just in jest. Oh, OK, I was going to say. OK, yes. And we did have quite a few people knocking on the front door, mainly neighbours saying, please, can we rub your shoulder for luck? Oh. But apart from that, no, it's, okay. it's, it's all been good. It's all been really good. I'm jealous now. Could you, you, could you give me ten grand? Just ten grand. You wouldn't notice that, Julie. Yeah, but if I gave it to you, I'd have to give it to Jonathan oh, and no, the d- others. And, yeah, it just soon mounts up. I so will no. take JVS out for a coffee <laughs> and I will buy it. <laughs> Julie, listen, well, congratulations. Well done. I'm glad, I'm glad you've... It sounds like you've had fun. You've enjoyed we it. We have. We have, That's certainly. Awesome Julie, thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. Julie Jeffrey from Watford won over a million pounds. What was it? One million and thirty-eight thousand pounds on the lottery and went back to... The, the thing is, she's right. She's very sensible. A million pounds, it's a lot of money. And it is a life-changing amount of money, isn't it, really? That's the mortgage paid off, straight away. Nice car, a few good holidays, sort the kids out. But you can't live on a million pounds forever, can you? You, you can't, being realistic. 30 million, yeah, of course you could. The interest would, 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 uh, would pay for itself. But a million pounds, as she went back to work, it would be... What would you do if you won a million pounds? Would you go back to work? 10 million pounds. 30 million pounds. And what would you buy? Uh, I was reading in the paper that one of the most common things uh, to buy from lottery winners, I should have asked Julie, is, um, uh, what do they call it? Those big water things that you sit in that bubble. Hot tubs. The hot tubs. Oh, I wouldn't have a hot tub. How common? That's good. The, the money cannot buy you class, dear listener. I think that's an important lesson there. But Julie sounds like she did exactly the right thing. She had a g- bit of a giggle with it, had a laugh, treated herself, bought some knickknacks, sorted the kids out, wallop. Fantastic. 08459 455 555. 
Uh, I, I saw an eight-year-old kid in Dunstable effing and jeffing at an old man. Now, the old man that he finished up effing and jeffing to had nothing to do, had, had done nothing. I saw it. He walked out of an alleyway and just stood in the place where the original gentleman uh, that was being sworn at had stood. What would you have done? I was in my car. I didn't do anything. If I'd have been there, I think I would have said something. And I have said things to kids in the street before for being little so-and-sos. What would you have done? Um, on the text, an anonymous text, I was a prison officer for 22 years. While taking a prisoner on escorted home leave for a day, I was called a rude name by his four-year-old brother. The family thought he was funny and cute. You have to realise that these kids and parents live a different life to most of us. Leave well alone and call the police. I, I, I get what you're saying there. Helen in Milton Keynes. The boy has learned that no one will stop his bad behaviour. You should have dialed 101. 101 is the, the number for the police. I had to call the police at the weekend for whatever reason, uh, and I couldn't remember the number, so I dialed 111. That's the NHS. Then I dialed 122, and that's T-Mobile. So, and then I gave up. I thought, actually, I'll leave it. It's not, it's not worth it. It's not a 999, and I, I can't be bothered. So I left. It's 101. Thank you, Helen. <laughs> I found if you speak firmly and politely to child and parents, this works. Although I was told that dad six foot plus thought I was scary. I'm five foot two. This child, I think a firm speaking to by this child wouldn't have worked. Um, Ted has tweeted. You can tweet at Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E-E, or at BBC 3CR from Ted. Heavens no. Who am I as a citizen who's worked hard for 50 years to have the audacity to challenge the ruling elite? Kids. I, I, I wouldn't, and I don't want to, you know, we heard from someone earlier on who grabbed a kid. You can't do that. You can't do that. And if you do grab a kid, I think they're kind of right if they get the police involved. You, you can't. But I, I was disappointed that n there were people walking past this scene and no one stopped and no one said anything. And this poor old boy, he literally just walked out an alleyway, kind of looked at where the shouting was coming from and the kids turned his shouting towards him. You bleep in this, I'll, I'll hit you in the bleeping bleeps. It was horrible. And no one stopped to help at all. Oh, a cup of coffee has just arrived. Thank you, work experience, Holly. Good work. 08459 455 555. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. What would you have done? Let's get the latest travel news now. Here's Sophie Tyler. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still looking fairly slow at the moment, heading south on the M1. Main delays at the moment between Junction 14 at Milton Keynes and 13 at Bedford. It's going to take you around 40 minutes to get through there. And it is also looking a little bit tricky still, just around 9 at Redbourne. Not causing too much of a similar problem, though. Now, it is looking fairly tricky anti-clockwise on the M25 between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. And an hour's worth of delays between 21A at St Albans and 15 at the M4. Now, also London bound on the M42. Two lanes are currently blocked and there's queuing traffic following an accident. Three vehicles involved between five at Stoke and Church and four at High Wycombe. Bring you more on this as and when it comes in. Also looking slow in the usual trouble areas on the Barnet Bypass heading south between the Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass and southbound on the A10 as well. Particularly tricky just around the Great Cambridge Road at Turnford and the A121 at Winston Churchill Way. Travel time there is around 15 minutes. Everything else not look actually uh, looking too bad. Trains and tubes are moving nicely at the moment. Safety Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. 
7.45, Monday the 22nd of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A BBC Panorama programme to be shown tonight will reveal new evidence about why BBC Two's Newsnight shelved an investigation last December into allegations of sexual abuse by Jimmy Savile. Members of the Jimmy Savile Stoke Mandeville Hospital Charitable Trust will meet to discuss a name change later on today. In sport, Bedfordshire non-league side Alsey Town have been drawn away to 1987 winners Coventry in the first round of the FA Cup. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Some patchy rain to start, becoming drier but a bit cloudy, dull and misty. Top temperature is 16 degrees. And coming up, a 28-year-old man from High Wycombe died after taking a substance called DNP, which he's thought to have got from a local gym. We'll hear more shortly. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday afternoon from three, Roberto Peroni. What did you see? Um, I was walking across Priory Marina. I spotted this lion. There's no doubt about it. Oh, it come off lion. it, Stephen. <laughs> How do you know it was a lion? Yeah. Might it not have been a really fat cat? Roberto Peroni. <laughs> Put your hand on your heart. Uh, yep. You swear to me that what you saw was a lion in Bedford. I swear by the almighty that I saw a lion. Roberto Peroni. Weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. I just said a phrase that I don't think I I've heard since um, I was 17 years old. I just, I just whispered to work experience Ollie. You're twisting my melons, man. What's that from? It's Primal Scream, isn't it? I think, I think it's a Primal Scream. Uh, happy Mondays. Thank you very much. It's the Happy Mondays. You talk so hit, man. You're twisting my melons. You've got no idea what I'm talking about. I'll move on, shall I? Yes. Oh, wait, 459 455 555 is the phone number if you want to get in touch about any of the things we're talking about this morning. The family of a 28-year-old man from High Wycombe who is thought to have died after taking performance-enhancing drugs say they've lost a fun, loving and caring man. Sean Clitheroe died after taking a substance called DMP, which he's thought to have got from a local gym. The drug is used by bodybuilders to burn fat quickly, but can have serious side effects. Uh, Michelle Verrocken, director of Buckinghamshire-based Sporting Integrity, is on the line now. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. We've heard about top athletes taking performing-enhancing drugs or supplements, but why are ordinary sports people using them? The, the, the people just in your local gym using them? Well, um, for the very same reasons, um, I think there's, a, there's an assumption that if uh, you can take a shortcut by using some of these uh, substances, then uh, um, it's worth the risk. But really, um, you have to be so, so cautious with these supplements because uh, if we realise that, uh, if people realise they are just not covered by the same kind of, me- uh, of regulations as the Medicines Act or the Food Act, that they are putting themselves at some risk. Have you heard of DNP? Uh, no, I haven't, um, but it doesn't surprise me the um, type of, uh, uh, of claim that's being made for a substance like this. It's probably a stimulant-type uh, substance, so it's oh. either some form of um, ephedrine-like, amphetamine-like substance that's meant to stimulate the cardiovascular system, mm. um, and... You know, it can be dangerous unless we know the the medical history of somebody. Um, these aren't substances that should be taken lightly. I, I was looking up uh, DMP at the weekend when I knew you were doing this story, and it's used for, uh, amongst other things, a dye, fungicide, herbicide, insecticide, and even as an explosive. Mm. And some of the side effects um, uh, listed include extreme body temperatures leading to brain damage 
and blindness. Now, do you think that, that people, when they take this, they're aware of the side effects? If I was taking a drug, I would look into what it could possibly do to me. I would research it quite thoroughly. Do you think these people are? Well, I think that the problem is that you're taking the sensible approach, but many people would just read the marketing literature that the company itself produces and if it says look this will burn off fat mm. which probably it does but it doesn't tell you all the other things it might do or how it's likely to burn off fat um, which is by I increasing the heart rate so your met metabolic rate goes up and um, if you have the right kind of diet and exercise program with it yes it might help to reduce some of the um, body fat around the, but it's just not necessarily going to have that immediate mm. action and I think it's really difficult for us in sport to, to get across the message to anybody who wants to um, get a, a leaner look that the the only safe way to actually reduce um, body fat, burn off fat is going to be to exercise more and to eat less but that's probably not the message people want. Uh, what needs to be done to, to cut down on these, these kind of drug use? Is, is there anything that can be done, or is it completely out of control? Uh, no, I, I think what, what can be done is that the, the regulation of supplements and their availability through outlets such as gyms where there may not be... Um, the uh, independent um, objective evidence provided. I mean, certainly, it, if it's if it's a, a substance that's going to make a physiological change to the body, it's got to be licensed as a medicine, and it's got to be controlled in the way it, it's it's made available to the public. But we do see, you know, some of these types of substances available, um, even in so-called health food shops or maybe supermarkets, very much are available across the internet. So, you know, it is really a case of buyer beware. You, you do have to research the substances and don't always believe the marketing claims or the so-called scientific um, evidence that's been commissioned by the company you need independent peer-reviewed evidence that says yes this is, this works and be, be aware that if a substance is going to make a physiological change to the body like burn off fat it probably should have been licensed as a medicine if it's actually got that action in a safe way. Otherwise than that, you are putting yourself at risk. Michelle Verrocken, Director of Buckinghamshire-based Sporting Integrity, thank you very much indeed. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, talking about energy bills. Uh, man, they're expensive, aren't they? They are expensive. Put a jumper on. Put some thermals on. Justin Dealey, our reporter. Um, I, the, the, I find out more and more about him every day. He sits at home in his um, uh, thermal vest. <laughs> you can imagine. I feel sorry for his... He's, he's got a girlfriend, I think. His poor girlfriend. Just, can we turn the heat... No! We will not turn the heating up! Put a jumper on! For goodness sakes. I'm sure he doesn't shout like that, but you never know. Um, who's, uh, Nick and Hitchin has texted in 81333. Ian, I'm in credit with my supplier to the tune of over £100. I'm hardly in my flat, and when I am, the street lights at the front and back light up my flat a treat, so I don't need to put my lights on. Oh, shut up. When I do go to bed, I use two big bits of cardboard in my bedroom window to block the light out. You're an absolute muppet. I don't believe that for a second. Um, 
And Ian, you could live without working on... Whoa, here we go. Listen, someone is texting about the lottery win. You could live without working on £1 million quite easily. By buying five or six homes, you could rent out at seven to eight hundred pounds a month. That would give three and a half to four thousand pounds a month. I don't know about you, but that's enough to live a millionaire's lifestyle. It's all about perspective and just how greedy you are. Four thousand pounds a month. In this day and age, uh, listen, you know, I'm not knocking it. In this day and age, it ain't that much. Four grand a month. It's good, and I certainly wouldn't wouldn't laugh at it. But really. I don't think so. I don't think so. And also, if you own those properties, anonymous person, you are working because you are the landlord. Oh, you go through an agency, well then you lose some of the money because it goes to the agency. You're the landlord. They can call you any time of the day or night. Got a bit bit angry there. Calm down now. It's the final Police Commissioner Hustings on BBC Three Counties Radio later on uh, tonight. Roberto Peroni will be hosting it. We've heard from the candidates in beds and the Thames Valley. It's the turn of Hertfordshire this evening. The new commissioners will be able to set the budget for the local force, hire and fire chief constables. Uh, Mike Sargent has been looking at whether voters in Hertfordshire are embracing the change. Officers like these in Hertfordshire will still respond to emergency calls and decide which crimes to investigate. But the way the force is governed is about to undergo its biggest change in decades. So are the voters here in Hatfield aware that it's happening or interested in taking part in this election? I'm not interested. Really? I don't think it makes any difference to me whatsoever. So I'm not taking, I haven't taken any notice of it whatsoever, I'm afraid. I don't even know anything about these people that you'd be voting for, that's the problem. I've never seen anyone round here trying to get votes. You can vote for someone who will tell the police which kind of crimes to prioritise. Sounds good. Yeah, good idea. I think you'll be voting there? Yes, definitely. I've never voted. You've never voted for anyone? Never voted for anyone. Never will do. So you're not going to vote for a police commissioner? No, no. At the moment, each force in England and Wales outside of London is overseen by a police authority. These are being scrapped. After the elections next month, a single commissioner will take over in each area. They won't be allowed to command day-to-day operations, but will set strategic priorities and agree budgets. Paul Fawcett of Victim Support thinks anyone who's been a victim of crime, or might be in the future, should care about these elections. Our concern at the moment is that nobody really knows about it. Um, The issue within that is that there's a lot at stake, and it's not just how policing is delivered, it's also how victims are looked after, because that's been added to the role of police and crime commissioners. And so we think it's really important people get out and vote on the 15th, because the likelihood is at some point in their life they're going to be a victim of crime. What actually happened was my ex-husband, I'd left him in the April. Four years ago, Marcel was held at gunpoint by her ex-partner, who was later imprisoned. She's now urging people to vote as long as the candidates are good enough. Make sure that the people that you put in control are people that have some form of knowledge, not just been to college and learnt psychology. We need people out there that have actually some form of experience with victims. These elections could herald an exciting new era of democracy in policing or be low-profile contests for another set of party politicians. A bold experiment is about to begin. Well, don't forget that uh, on Roberto's show tonight we will have um, some of those... um Candidates uh, on the Police and Crime Commissioners debate tonight. Next month, you will have the chance to decide who runs your local police force. They'll be called Police and Crime Commissioners. 
Um, and uh, on Roberto's show tonight, you will hear some of those uh, candidates put forward their argument. And then next Monday, they'll all be there, and you can have a little chitty chat with them, I think, and see what uh, they're standing for and what they're saying. Uh, this morning, I'm asking if you saw a kid in the street having a go at a 70 year old man, would you get involved? 08459 455 555. I saw it happen yesterday in Dunstable. I was in my car and I couldn't get out. I was at traffic lights, the lights turned, I had to go. If I'd been in the street, I would have definitely said something. I would have expected a mouthful back. I don't think uh, it would have ended the situation, but I would definitely have said something. Would you? 08459 455 555. And after eight, we'll talk more about the Dunstable bypass. If you live in Dunstable or you drive through it or you work there, what do you think? I was there at the weekend. Is it too late for Dunstable? Is Dunstable beyond saving? The road won't be ready until 2017. 2017! Is that too late? 08459 455 555. Let's get the travel now. Here's Sophie. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. London bound on the M40 it is still queuing and two lanes are closed following that earlier accident. Three vehicles involved there between Junction 5 at Stoke and Church and 4 at High Wycombe. Now heading south on the uh, M1 we are looking at delays of nearly an hour between Junction 14 at Milton Keynes and 13 at Bedford while anti-clockwise on the M25 it is still looking slow where you'd expect between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield and delays again of over an hour I'm afraid between 21A at St Albans all the way through to 15 at the M now heading south on the Barnet Bypass, it is still slow between Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass. And heading south on the A10, looking a little bit tricky as well between the Great Cambridge Road and the A121 at Winston Churchill Way. 15-minute delays there. Everything else, though, not looking too bad. Usual delays for this time in the morning. A little bit tricky in patches, but nothing that's going to be holding you up for too long. Don't forget, it is still fairly foggy out there. Conditions not great to be driving in. Trains and tubes, though, are still looking good on the local live departure boards. There's more in 15 minutes. Sophie, thank you very much. And we spoke to a lottery winner, winner earlier on who won a million pounds. And, and well done. She seemed to be enjoying herself and, and having fun with it. But a million pounds, it's life-changing. But you can't give up your job on a million quid. It, I, I'm not being greedy. Surely that's the case. 08459 455 555. Here's the news now with Catherine. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's 8 o'clock. The headlines, Panorama to screen new Savile allegations, masked gang strike in Langford and MP bats away Dunstable bypass reservations. BBC Three Counties Radio. A BBC Panorama programme to be screened tonight will reveal new evidence about what the BBC knew about Jimmy Savile's decades of child abuse and why Newsnight shelved its own investigation into the scandal. The BBC has denied claims that pressure was put on Newsnight to drop its report because of plans to screen tributes to Jimmy Savile. The BBC's Foreign editor John Simpson told Panorama he thought the BBC should have been open from the minute the story broke. This is the worst crisis that I can remember in my nearly 50 years at the BBC. I don't think the BBC has handled it terribly well. All we have as an organisation is the trust of, of people, the people that watch us and listen to us. And if we don't have that, if we start to lose that, that's very dangerous for the BBC. 
Meanwhile, the Jimmy Savile Stoke Mandeville Trust will, um, sorry, the Jimmy Savile Stoke Mandeville Hospital Charitable Trust will meet to discuss changing its name later today. Last week, Stoke Mandeville's Hospital's Cafe was renamed Cafe at WRVS. It had been Jimmy's and was opened by Savile in 2005. In other news, police in Cardiff have charged a 31-year-old man with murder and 13 counts of attempted murder in connection with a series of hit-and-run incidents in the west of the city on Friday. Karina Menzies, who was 31, died after being knocked over by a van. Two people have been taken to hospital after intruders broke into their home in Langford last night. Shortly before 7.20pm, four or five men in balaclavas forced their way into an address on Edworth Road. They attacked one of the residents before stealing money, valuables and a black Labrador dog and making their escape towards the A1. Bedfordshire police are appealing for witnesses. The MP for South West Bedfordshire has hailed the approval of the Dunstable Bypass as wonderful news for the town. The £160 million project, which was first announced in 2000 got the green light from the Department of Transport on Friday. Speaking earlier to Ian Lee, Andrew Salou dismissed claims from one Milton Keynes councillor that roadworks would impact badly on neighbouring areas. The idea that Dunstable and Houghton Regis and surrounding villages shouldn't get the bypass they've needed for 50 years because of disruption during roadworks is frankly um, uh, laughable, to be honest. You know, it's our turn to get this road to make sure that our town works. In sport, one of the smallest clubs left in the FA Cup have drawn one of the largest. Arlsey Town will play away to Coventry City when the FA Cup first round proper takes place on the 3rd and 4th of November. Luton play at Kenilworth Road against either Telford or Nuneaton. MK Dons are away to Cambridge City. Stevenage are away to Rotherham. Wickham are away to Crewe. Bishop Stortford are at home against Hastings United. And Boreham Wood will host Brentford. As for the weather, patchy rain to start but getting drier, albeit cloudy, dull and misty today. Top temperature 16 degrees Celsius. That's 61 Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. Eagle-eared amongst you will have picked up on Friday. <clears throat> Friday. Um, I said I was buying a guitar and uh, that it was very expensive. I had a few people tweeting me asking me what guitar it was and how much it was. I'm not going to say how much it was. It, it arrived on Friday, and it's, it's beautiful. It's 46 years old. It's, it's, a, it's a Gretsch. It won't mean anything to most of you, but some of you go, oh, 46-year-old Gretsch. 1967, you say. Nice. Uh, and I, I got it out, and I was kind of, you know, the, the badly fumbling around with it. And my wife asked me how much it was. I was like, oh, you don't, yeah, you don't need to know. <laughs> oh, how much was the guitar? No, I mean, it's just... Uh, the thing is, it will never decrease in value. How much was it? Well, I've never seen one this cheap in such good... Co- How much was it, Ian? And I told her... Oi, that was a frosty weekend. That was a frosty weekend. It's an investment! She said, can the boys play on it? Nope. My son is not touching that until he's 25 years old. Anyway, so that's what happened this weekend, for those who are wondering. Coming up in the next hour of the show... There is a panorama probe into the Savile scandal. More on that. The Dunstable Bypass finally gets the go-ahead. Reporter Justin Dealey will be there to see what business owners think about it. And did you see Strictly Come Dancing at the weekend? I saw 45 seconds, and it was 45 seconds too much. Although I have a good authority from my producer, it was excellent this week. We'll get the verdict from 10-year-old Kiana from St Albans. BBC Three Counties Radio. And JVS will pop in at some point to tell us what's happening on his show this morning. 
A BBC Panorama programme to be screened tonight will reveal new evidence about what the BBC knew about Jimmy Savile's decades of child abuse and why Newsnight shelved its own investigation into the scandal. The BBC has denied claims that pressure was put on Newsnight to drop its report because of plans to screen tributes to Jimmy Savile. The script included a report of sexual abuse of a teenager at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. We can talk now to Hertfordshire's Paul Conyu. He's a PR and media commentator and former deputy editor of the News of the World. He was interviewed for the Panorama show that's on tonight. That's correct, isn't it, Paul? You were interviewed by them? That's correct, yeah. What, what, what were they asking you? Um, well, two, two grounds, really. Apart from my general view of the BBC's handling of it, they were also um, talking to me about the fact that... Uh, Back in 1994, when I was editing the Sunday Mirror, we came very close to exposing Jimmy Savile, but uh, had to drop it ourselves because um, of of the libel risks. The the two um, our two sources were two women uh, who had been um, who had been at the Duncroft approved school um, years before and. Um, had been victims of Savile's abuse, and although we examined them and spoke to them at great length and were satisfied they were telling us the truth, they were so terrified of Savile and also the embarrassment of going public that they wanted to be the catalyst to exposing Savile, but at the same time, a mixture of fear and embarrassment meant that they weren't willing to go into a witness box, and I had to bow to the legal advice. We'd be probably looking at a million-pound libel action and the result of reputational damage if we ploughed ahead um, without the witnesses. Paul, do you think the BBC should have exposed him? I can't... Well, I took part... Um, week before last, in a Newsnight debate on this very subject, it was slightly surreal because uh, there was no one from Newsnight, apart from Eddie Mayer presenting it, in the studio that, you know, the, the Newsnight uh, presenter and uh, editor, Peter Rippon, you know, w- w- wouldn't go on and neither would anybody else from the BBC. So we had Kevin Marsh, distinguished former Today programme editor, but now retired, sort of putting the BBC's case. I must I must confess I find that surreal and I do feel that, feel that Newsnight, in, in the in the public mind, Newsnight look as if they've actually run away from a story of massive proportions, as we can now as we can now see. Um, but if you think, Paul, if you if you believe what some of the people at Newsnight are saying that they didn't run the story because they didn't have enough evidence, you didn't run the story because you didn't have enough evidence. There's a big difference. Could you I not think. have investigated and found if you were suspicious that this was going on? Could you not have done more investigation? Yes, we try. We try to, but in fact, but it's not. An, it's not unusual uh, um, with victims of child abuse that they don't talk. And also, operationally, if Jim, if the allegation had been that Jimmy Savile was running, say, a drug ring mm-hmm. or prostitutes, you know, grown up <laughs> women who were who were on the game yeah. was running a prostitution ring, one would have done the classic sting operation and and, and in, tried to infiltrate. Yes. You couldn't you couldn't you couldn't put a genuine thirteen, fourteen year old girl into no. that sort of risk situation and frankly, you know, I didn't know of any of any experienced uh, investigative female journalist who would have passed for a fourteen or fifteen year old girl. Mm. So in the end it was a 
question of resources. But of course, Newsnight didn't have the libel problem. They, they, they had more witnesses than I had back in 94. Savile was dead, so they didn't have yeah. the libel issue, which, is, which, which leaves me very puzzled as to why they backed away. Well, uh, listen, I'm going to say something, and I'm not in any way suggesting that you or, or, or the, new, the News of the World, when you were there, were in, involved in this in the slightest. So please don't take this no, personally. Mirror, you? Well, well, the, the, the mirror, sorry. Yeah, yeah, but, but, so please don't take this personally. But it doesn't, you know, all of these, these stories we get about phone hacking and stuff like that. Why did they only ever pick up celebrity tittle-tattle like Bex was doing, bought these shoes? Why did they never get big stories like this? Well, back in the news of the world, when I was a deputy editor there, we did actually expose Gary, Gl- Gary Glitter. Good for you, well done. And a 13-year-old girl, also passed on to the police. What happened? Nothing until about eight, year, eight or nine years later. Wow, really? Well, Yeah. Uh, how strange is this to have one... B- it's an odd setup, isn't it? We're a BBC programme talking about a BBC programme that's investigating a BBC programme. How odd is that chain of events? Well, in a, in a, it, it is, again, to, to use that word surreal again, mm. it is. But at, the, but at the same time, I think to its credit, you know, there aren't too many organisations that would actually be wearing the hair shirt in this way and examining it itself. I mean, you, you could be cynical and say, well, it's a bit belated damage control, but at the same time, you know... What, what admires the BBC for doing that, even though the BBC has many awkward questions to answer, and I, I suspect that George Entwistle, the Director General, will be having quite a, a um, quite a torrid time tomorrow when he faces the MPs on the Media and Culture Select Committee. How must he be feeling? Because he's only been in the job for twenty minutes. He's he's come in, thought he had the you know the best job in the world, and immediately he's hit with this. He's in a I pickle, feel- isn't he? I feel, I think he's in a pickle. I feel some sympathy for George Entwistle insofar that he's a, he was a very well-respected BBC executive, a popular choice as director general with staff. Um, also a formative of news night, of course. Um, and, but I think he has some serious problems here. Mm. I mean, one of the, one of the problems is that he, you know, I think this may be down to some poor PR advice he received, but I think he was very slow to go to the microphone himself to address the mm. issue and to apologise to the victims and indeed to announce BBC internal inquiries. I think also, also what is very curious, you know, um, is the fact that he seemed, that there seems to be a, be a 10 second, according to the Panorama programme, a 10 second conversation between Helen Bowden, the uh, director, the head of news at the BBC, and George Entwistle, at, who was then head of. Uh, head, head of um, of vision at the BBC um, at the beginning of December of last year, you know, which was which was the height of the news night investigation, mm. and when the BBC had already scheduled its tributes to to Jimmy Savile, and in fact. And Helen Bowden seemingly warned him he might have to actually drop those because of a news investigation. But seemingly in 10 seconds at an awards lunch, there was, there was no... It seems it, it that, according to George Entwistle, he wasn't told and didn't want to ask what the investigation was about. But, but I think to most people, not just in the media either, it, it pegs the question, well, if someone had said that to you, in fact, another of your senior colleague, that you might want to say, well, we can't talk about it now, but can we have a meeting? meeting in the office. Let's talk about it when it's a bit more... Paul, we've got to move on. Always fascinating to talk to you, Paul. You've got an interesting insight into it. That's Paul Conyu, PR and media commentator and former deputy editor of the News of the World. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Now, do you struggle to pay your energy bills? Ofgem is hoping to save the average household £150 a year in energy by simplifying and switching people's tariffs. Will it work? Our reporter, Sophie Solaria, has been to meet Chris Hall in Hemel, a pensioner who struggles to pay her energy bills after her winter fuel allowance was cut. 
do come in. Go through to the front room. That's the warmest room in the house. I've got some blankets here on the settee, although I use them for uh, the dog, but I can use them to put over me if it gets really cold. Wrap yourself up in the dog blankets. Yes, yes. As you can see, I've got quite thick curtains here, which I draw across at night time because there is a draft that comes through the front door. All methods to keep the cold out without putting your fuel prices up. Yes, yes. I only put the radiators on if it's really, really cold. So a few more jumpers, a couple of trousers. <laughs> so we're not advanced to the radiator yet? Not just yet, no. How are you heating this living room? Just by the, the fire, the gas fire there that you see. And when did that turn on for the first time this year? About half an hour before you came. <laughs> Throws out quite a bit of heat. Not lots of heat, Not though. a lot, no. It doesn't really get to the other end of the no. room. And it's quite a big room, as you can see. So, Chris, let's talk about the winter fuel allowance, because you lost £50 this year, yes, didn't you? Yes, that's right. How has that affected you? Well, um, it's affected me, really, because I'm now rather frightened to have the heating on for as long as I used to. So what I'm going to have to do is cut down two hours in the morning to, say, two to three hours in the evening and go to bed early. So that's had quite a large effect on your life? Yes, it has. How long do you stay in the house on a daily basis? Well, today it's been all day. Some days I'm out just in the morning. You so know. a long time is spent in the house, and yes. for it to be cold, that mustn't be very pleasant. No, it isn't, because when you've got cold hands and got heart arthritis, it's not um, very good at all. So with this loss to your winter fuel allowance, how are you going to cope? I really don't know, because it's taken me nearly all year just to save up for my television licence. It's going to be very, very difficult. I feel betrayed. He promised he would not touch the winter fuel benefit and that's what he's done. Who are we talking about? Cameron. I feel like writing a letter, but one letter's not going to be enough. It needs everybody to write in and tell him just how they feel. What do you think of this idea of Ofgem working with suppliers to provide straightforward tariffs at lower costs? Well, can you really see them keeping the cost down? Because I can't. I think it's a lost avenue that they're going down. It's an old lady wrapping herself in a dog blanket to keep warm. Come on, that's not right. Um, In a little bit, we're speaking to someone from Citizens Advice Bureau who'll be able to give us a few tips on what we can do to maybe save a few pounds. But first of all, here's the travel news with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. We still have severe delays in queuing traffic following an earlier accident, London bound on the M40. There were three vehicles involved at Justine Junction, five at Stoken Church and four at High Wycombe. All lanes have been reopened, but it is still looking very, very slow. And southbound on the M1, it's also looking a little bit tricky as well, between 15 at Northampton and 12 at Flitwick. These delays are going to take you a little while to get through, I'm afraid. It seems like there is quite the backlog there this morning. And then there's 15-minute delays again, just southbound again on the M1, sorry, between Newport Pagnell Services 
and 13 at Bedford also. Now, clockwise on the M25, it's looking a little bit tricky just around Junction 23 at the A1M and there's delays of over an hour between 21A at St Albans all the way through to 15 at the M4. Usual delays though for this time in the morning and southbound on the Barnet Bypass, more queues in the Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass while we still have 15-minute delays heading south on the A10 between Turnford and Winston Churchill Way. Everything else not looking too bad. Trains and tubes are running to time at the moment. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much. Good morning, it's 8.16, it's Monday the 22nd of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A BBC panorama programme to be screened tonight will reveal new evidence about what the BBC knew about Jimmy Savile's decades of child abuse and why Newsnight shelved its own investigation into the scandal. Members of the Jimmy Savile Stoke Mandeville Hospital Charitable Trust will meet today to discuss changing its name. In sport, Bedfordshire non-league side Alsey Town have been drawn away to 1987 winners Coventry in the first round of the FA Cup. Weather coming up shortly and also on the show, the Dunstable Bypass finally gets the go-ahead. Before 8.30, our reporter Justin Dealey will be speaking to a business owner to see exactly what they think about it. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every Monday to Saturday from 12, Nick Coffer. We've been talking about uh, Hospice Care Week. I think anyone who hasn't used a hospice may struggle to understand that concept of an upbeat hospice. You walk in and there's people smiling, there's people laughing, people sharing a joke together. Nick Coffer. My sort of ethos is enjoy every day, live it like it's like your last and never give up on hope. Beautifully, beautifully put. Nick Coffer. Monday to Saturday from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, Jonathan, I do apologise. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is here. It's always, it's always, you're so full of life and energy and a big smile on your face. Not always. Sometimes, <laughs> no, sometimes you are a bit grumpy. But you use that to your advantage. But this morning... Me? I've never been grumpy in my life. What? The, the plastic bag show you were grumpy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Sorry. got on my nerves. And I just said, oh, and you're wearing a very, very smart jacket. It looks like it's a designer jacket or you got it from a top-end store. <laughs> and I asked where it's from and you said, oh, I can't tell you. It's a, so it obviously means it's a cheap one. But you, uh, to quote Rod Stewart, you wear it well. Oh, thanks. You wear it well. I it's think it's lovely. very nice cut, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's very smart. So, but you're very smart. Did you have a nice weekend? Uh, yeah, it's okay. If I'm being honest, if I'm being absolutely honest Be with honest. you, I spent a lot of yesterday suffering a little bit. I enjoyed Saturday night perhaps a bit too much. <laughs> yeah, you had the hangover. Does that kind of uh, explain it? Yeah, it's very unusual for me. Yep. Um, but it means it, you're getting old. I woke up yesterday, I was thinking, oh my word, yeah. no, I've overdone it. Yep. So I'm afraid yesterday was my punishment for too much fun on Saturday night. But you had a good time Saturday night. Oh yes. There we go, that's the main yeah, thing. It's very nice. What's happening on your show this morning? Coming up on the big phone in this morning, what do you think would make prison work? Uh, the Prime Minister, David Cameron, says we must make prisons work. At a speech today, he'll insist that criminals can be punished and rehabilitated at the same time. He says there is no alternative to making prisons work, and he claims that the debate has become too black and white. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views. What do you think would make prison work? Uh, perhaps you have a view as someone who's never been in prison, but you see people going in and out of prison, and you think that something needs to change, and you have an idea as to what that may be. Perhaps you've been in prison yourself. What do you think would make it work? Or maybe you've worked in a prison and you have a view. I want your experience and uh, your opinion from nine this morning. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. What do you think would make prison work? Prison work. 
works for me. The thought of prison is, en- is enough for me not to do any crimes. What, what is it? Is it the thought of being in with all those horrible people, or is it the thought of being in the building itself <laughs> Just with be, the duvet, be, the PlayStation, Oh, the Jonathan, it's not, that's not what it's like. No? You don't sit in your room. The thing is, they only get PlayStation 1. They only get PlayStation 1. They don't get PlayStation 3. Ah. So that's tough. Only the are, old one. Those games are rubbish. Is it the Sinclair Spectrum 48K <laughs> of PlayStation? I'd be in there for that. It's, listen, it's not... People who say, oh, it's, it's like a holiday camp. No, it's not. It's prison. It's prison. You don't, they don't, they've got PlayStations and Facebook. I don't know. I've, I've never been in there. Have you? I've, I've watched Porridge. <laughs> The documentary series. <laughs> I don't think it's like porridge anymore. Is it not? No. It's not Chris Biggins <laughs> flouncing around. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Well, no, I don't think so. Okay, disappointing. I should be listening at nine, Jonathan. Well, from nine, let's hope that I hear from people who have been in prison and can give us the actual clear picture of what it is like. Yes. And what we need to do to it to make it work. They'll be texting you from their cells. <laughs> Probably <laughs> on their mobile phones we're paying for. Calm down, go off, go and have a, go and have a little back rub or something. Jonathan Vernon smith will be on at nine o'clock. Always worth a listen. Let's get the weather news now. Steve Weston. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yeah, another dull, damp and misty day coming up with early fog lifting and clearing only very slowly. Bit of patchy rain around as well. Top temperatures, surprisingly mild. 16 Celsius, 61 Fahrenheit and that's all with a light northeasterly breeze. Little change for tonight. Mostly cloudy. Uh, the mist and fog returning and low cloud draped over the Chilterns and the Downs. So another uh, damp night. Still mild. 12 Celsius, 54 Fahrenheit. Tuesday, mist and fog lifting into low cloud again, perhaps a little bit of brightness in the afternoon. Wednesday and Thursday, two more dull and cloudy days with patchy rain or drizzle with mist and fog around. It isn't until Friday when there's a sudden change we go into bright and sunny conditions but feeling much colder. There's the weather forecast from me, Steve Weston. There you see. Uh, you've probably been reluctant to put your heating on or, or have it on as, lo- as long as you'd like to. Um, all morning we've been playing reports from uh, uh, older people who have... Uh, the, the lady we heard about 10, 15 minutes ago, she covers herself with her dog blankets when it gets too cold and she goes to bed early. Come on, it's, tw- it's 2012 and it's Britain. Do we, oh, do we really need to do that? Well, Ben Thomas is the Advice Service Director at the Milton Keynes Citizens Advice Bureau. Morning, Ben. Good morning, Ian. This week is Big Energy Savings Week. What does that mean and what are you doing? Uh, Yeah, it's Big Energy Savings Week, which is a a week of sort of different activities and events uh, right across the country. Um, Citizens Advice is uh, coordinating that nationally, but it also involves people like the Energy Saving Trust, the six big sort of energy companies, uh, and also the energy regulator off gem uh, really the, the the program for the week is to try and highlight ways that people can try and save money on their energy bills um, by not only giving them advice but also sort of helping them understand some of the uh, currently the, the the sort of wide range of tariffs that are give that us are a couple available. of t- a couple of tips a couple of things that we can do to save some money um, some really um, obviously not sort of trying to, to sort of teach people how to suck eggs or anything, but uh, there are some really obvious things that you can do. Um, for example, one of the first things you could do is, is speak to your energy company. Um, just because they're your supplier, you could save up to sort of £200 by possibly switching your supplier. Um, it, you know, you may never even consider switching your energy supplier before, so it, does, it, is, it is worthwhile sort of shopping Ben, is that around. easy to do? I know that if, if you're online, it's easy to do. You can go to one of these price comparison websites, type in who you're with, and it'll show you who'll be better than That's that. Right. If you're not on line as i imagine a lot of older people aren't is is it so easy um i think that's the daunting thing like you say so many things are available to do online now and that does put people off certainly if you were concerned about the uh, level 
uh, or the amount of, of money that you're paying for your fuel bills and you, and you wanted to even question the sort of tariff or want some help understanding it, you could pop into your local CAB and have a chat with somebody who'd be glad to have a look at the uh, details and the sort of tariff that you're on and, and in, in contacting your supplier to see if you could get things changed. Um, but also, you, if you are... Um, uh, if you have received your energy online, what you can do sometimes is pay an exit fee, um, which is a sort of one-off payment to actually end your contract. But sometimes people have found that they're better off, certainly some of the people who come and talk to us about their, their energy bills are better off after paying a, a, an exit fee mm. um, for their contract. And then they sort of find that they could be up to £150 better off um, in the longer term. Uh, ben Thomas, thank you very much. Advice Service Director at Milton Keynes CAB. The advice seems to be, if you're a little bit stuck and you can't get online, go to the CAB. Isn't it interesting, when I changed um, my phone and my broadband and my electricity and gas, because they were too expensive and I found places that were much cheaper, both companies, big companies, both of them said, what, so what, what will your new rate be? I told them, oh, we can match that. Well, no, hang on. Hang on a minute. Why didn't you just phone me up and say, "Look, you're, we think you're paying a bit too much. We'll, we'll give you some money off." No, 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 no. You've had you've had me paying for the last eighteen months with one company, five years with the other company. You've had me paying too much. I'm off. Don't at the very last minute say, "Oh, we can match that." Don't do that. I'm going. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. Businesses in Dunstable have welcomed the long-anticipated Dunstable bypass. It's finally been given the go-ahead by the Department for Transport. The road will link the A5 and the M1. It'll cost £160 million. It'll start in 2014. It'll finish, yeah, about 2017. Uh, five years away. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, is in Dunstable with Mick Graham, who runs Casmix Caf. Have I pronounced that right? You have indeed. You are, we have getting, indeed. are we getting free egg rolls out of this, Justin? We'll come to that a bit later good on. Lads, good lads. But, uh, you go. I got to Dunstable this morning about 7.30. I thought the traffic was bad. People are saying to me, this is just a normal day. Every single week at BBC Three Counties Radio, we seem to be talking about the traffic in Dunstable. Mick, welcome to the programme. You must be absolutely delighted with this news. It's fantastic. It's just, it could be the star of something, you know, new. Some new development and everything. And I've mentioned just how bad the traffic can get here. Just remind us why you're so desperate for this bypass. Well, some days it can take 20 minutes just to get through the town centre. And people bypass the town centre to get out of the town. So if they, the, the traffic's not there, then people will come. Some people have described Dunstable as a ghost town, which I find very, very harsh. I think one of the key questions this morning would be, is this news just too late for Dunstable? It's never too late. I mean, people will survive, you know, and the development should come with, this, with the uh, bypass. So this money, every single penny, as far as you're concerned, it's money well spent? Oh, without a doubt. Mm. I've lived in Dunstable all my life, you know, from birth, and we've been talking about a bypass for the last 50 years. So let's get on with it. Some people would say, though, the A5, when that came in, that didn't make any major improvements. Well, it did for a, a few weeks, and then suddenly it was back to normal. Do you think this time, with the bypass, it will be different? Yeah, definitely, because the A5 is a bypass for the M1, so this will bypass the A5. Mm. So, happy news all round for everyone. I'm sure that uh, other traders that you've been talking to, again, say this is just long, long overdue. Yeah, everyone's very positive about it. I mean, it, there's no reason not to be. Just a couple of final things for you, Mick. Um, Ian has been talking this morning about his trip to Dunstable at the weekend. Uh, he was here. He saw an eight-year-old child, well, we certainly believe he was around eight years old, verbally abusing a 70-year-old pensioner. He didn't step in. I probably wouldn't have done either. What about yourself? Would you have stepped in? 
I think I probably would. I mean, I've got a nine-year-old, and if my nine-year-old was abusing anybody, you know, I, w I would hope to hope to think that somebody would come in and tell him off. Have you stunstable bad for this sort of thing? Not very often, no. I mean, I, I must admit, I've never witnessed it. Not a young child like that. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. And Ian, food. Yes. Um, egg roll, is it? You hungry? I'll have a fried egg roll with ketchup. Fried uh, egg roll with ketchup. Uh, okay. I, I don't know if he's got any. Uh, has he got any bubble going? Have you got any bubble and squeak? Yeah, just yeah. for Ian. Bit of bubble oh, and oh, a couple of hash browns. Hang on, what? somebody's saying something in my ear. But, hang yeah. on a second. BBC producer guidelines 14.5. Uh, hang on a second. No, listen, you don't Look at it. It says hot food is not allowed to be transported in a BBC vehicle. <sighs> Justin I'm sorry Dilly. about this, Ian. Justin Dilly, I, thank you so much. Thank you, Ian. Oh, I've accidentally cut you off. Dealey really pushes it. He's a good reporter, but he'll never make it in this business unless he learns to treat his uh, presenter with the respect that is deserved. I may not have earned that respect yet, but, but, but mark my words, one day I will. One day I will. Thank you, Justin, who's in Dunstable with Mick Graham. Right, travel news now, Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bugs travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. We still have long delays London-bound on the M40 following an earlier accident. Three vehicles involved just between Junction 5 at Stoke and Church and 4 at High Wycombe. Southbound on the M1 also still looking slow with delays of nearly 40 minutes between 15 at Northampton and 14 at Milton Keynes. More delays of nearly an hour between 13 at Bedford as well. And it's also looking a little bit tricky uh, clockwise on the M25 at the moment. Fairly slow between 23 at the A1M and the Barnet Bypass at South Mims. Now also anti-clockwise at London. Uh, we've got delays of over an hour between 21A at St Albans all the way through to 15 at the M4. And the Barnet Bypass is still slow southbound between Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass, while the A10 heading south is also still tricky between Turnford and Winston Churchill Way. 15-minute delays there. Everything else not really looking too bad. Usual delays for this time in the morning, but nothing that's going to be holding up for too long. But don't forget, we do have delays of 20 minutes on First Capital Connect between City Thames Link and Blackfriars. That's following a broken down train if you are travelling in towards central London. There's more in 15 minutes. Sophie, thank you very much. It's 8.30, time for the latest news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines, a special edition of the BBC's Panorama programme to be broadcast tonight, claims to have new evidence about what the corporation knew about Jimmy Savile and why Newsnight shelved its investigation into allegations against him. Members of the Jimmy Savile Stoke Mandeville Hospital Charitable Trust will meet today to discuss changing its name. And two people have been taken to hospital after masked intruders broke into their home in Langford last night. The thieves got away with money, valuables and the family's dog. <laughs> Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Bedfordshire non-league side Alsey Town have been drawn away to 1987 winners Coventry in the first round of the FA Cup. Elsewhere, MK Dons will be away to Cambridge City, Stevenage go to Rotherham, Wickham are away to Crewe, Luton will host Telford or Nuneaton and Bishop Stortford are at home to Hastings. Boreham Wood won 3-2 at Hayes and Yedding yesterday to earn a home tie with Brentford. And the, first full, the first round ties will be next weekend, that's November the 4th and 5th. Watford start preparations for tomorrow night's championship trip to Cardiff with manager Gianfranco Zola singling out striker Fernando Forestieri from Saturday's win over Peterborough. Fernando is, uh, is, is playing very well, I must say, and uh, he just um, needs to be a little bit more cool when he's in front of the goalkeeper. If he does that, then he's going to be a hell of a player. 
MK Dons will check on the extent of Stephen Gleeson's foot injury ahead of tomorrow's League One trip to Crawley. The midfielder was injured in Saturday's home defeat by Stevenage, with manager Carl Robinson hoping to make a loan signing or look at his youth squad as injuries start to mount up. It also gives me the biggest challenge of my managerial life to go into now to play the games with only probably four subs <laughs> is uh, is going to be difficult. Maybe some of the youth team need to stand up now and be counted and see what we've got in that bracket. In the Premier League, Sunderland earned a point at the Tyne and Weir derby against Newcastle, equalising four minutes from time as the game ended one all at the Stadium of Light. Meanwhile, QPR remained bottom of the table and without a league win this season as they drew one all at home to Everton. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at nine. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Another 27 minutes or so of the show before JVS uh, comes in and takes over. Coming up in the next half an hour, we'll be getting the updates on Strictly Come Dancing from two of our team of experts. And also, I saw a child, and he was no older than eight, ten tops, bad-mouthing a 70-year-old bloke at the weekend. Would you have got involved? 08459 455 555. Yeah, Strictly Come Dancing. I made the uh, unfortunate mistake of watching 45 seconds of it at the weekend. Oh. It was a lady wearing a dress. Oh, it was, that was it. It was, um, uh, Tess Daly was wearing a silver dress and she was talking to a lady in another dress and she was with a man. Uh, I don't know. Well, I, I don't need to watch this show because I have a team of experts who watch it for me. Today we've got Kiana and Sienna. Good morning, Kiana. Good morning! Uh, did, did, I saw the bit where Tess Daly was in a silver dress talking to another lady in a dress and, and she was with a man. Did you see that bit? Yeah, I did. And what did you think of that bit? <laughs> it was just weird. Yeah, it was weird that yeah. bit, wasn't it? What did you make of the show at the weekend? Was it any good? It was amazing. Oh. Were really good dancers. W- w- why was it so amazing? Because it was um, the theme was Hollywood. Hollywood! The home of dreams. And so what kind of dances did they do? Dances from films, was it? Yeah, they, um, there was Toy Story, Horace huh? there was loads. Did they do dances with wolves? No. No, they didn't do that. Um, what, what dance is there from Toy Story? Buzz Lightyear doesn't do a dance, does he? Um, Woody does it. Oh, does he? Okay. Who, for you, uh, w- w- were the, the winners and indeed the losers? Um, Lisa was okay. Okay. Um, I don't have a favourite, really. I like Lewis Smith. Yeah. Um, I like Danny Harmer. Okay. And Lisa. Danny is, is, Danny is, um, um, not Polly put the kettle on. What's her name? Tracy Beaker. Tracy Beaker. Yeah, Yeah. I got it. Ah, I beat you to it. Yes, I got there. Um, and uh, Bruce Forsyth is taking a week off to have a little rest. Yeah. What do you think about that? He's quite old, yep. so... He's 116. 116 oh. years old. That's old, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure I believe that. Yeah, but, what, do you think I'm lying? Maybe, yeah. Well, I, I'm not, listen, I work for the BBC. I'm not allowed to lie on air. <laughs> Otherwise, Daily Mail will do a front page. Kiana, can I, talk to your, can I talk to your sister, Sienna? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll Thank you very much. Hello, Ian. Yay, Sienna! How come you're so much more enthusiastic than your sister? Is she in a bad mood this morning? 
No, she turns into a teenage girl. Oh, no. We got her just on the cusp. Because a couple of weeks ago, she was full of life and was a little... And now she's a moody teenager. (laughs) Sienna, you'll never change, will you? Maybe. Oh. What did you make of uh, this week's Strictly Come Dancing? I thought it was good. My... My favourite is Danny Hummer. I wish I could just meet her in person. Would you like to meet her in person? Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying we could sort that out if, if the tone of my voice implied that, but we might we might be able to. Not really? That, well, yeah. Again, don't don't now. Listen, what I don't want you to do now. Oh God, I've got myself in terrible trouble. I'm lying to a seven-year-old. Don't go into school and go. Yeah, guess what, everyone? I'm going to go and live with Tracy Beaker for a year in Hollywood. Don't do that. But but you know, listen. I'm the I'm the BBC Sienna. If I can't get you to meet Tracy Beaker, I can't make anything happen. Leave it. Leave it with me. But you know, it, it might be a few years. Who was the worst, Sienna? Gary Hall and Anton. Well, they actually did go home, but I don't like her. Why don't you like her? Um, I don't like models. You don't like models? Why is that? And they show off. They do show up. We're going to let you go because the line is terrible, but excellent work there. Team, I I need your help. I've just told a seven-year-old I can get her to meet Tracy Beaker. I mean, that is, the, that is the worst thing I could have done. I've lied to a child. You've got to sort it out, Laura. You've got, you have to sort that out. In your head, be it. It's you that's lied to a child, not me. You made me do it by being in a separate room. Oh, God. If anyone can help me get Tracy Beaker to... At least not me, but maybe on the phone. We could probably do it on the phone, couldn't we? I'm really panicking now. Oh, man, I'm panicking. Kiana and Sienna, thank you. The line was a little bit uh, dodgy there, but thank you very much. You did a, a, a cracking job, <coughs> as always. Hey... Here's something. I was mentioned on You've Been Framed this week. I was well excited. I, I, I turned on Twitter at the weekend, and loads of people said, oh, you've, just, you've been on You've Been Framed. I was like, what? And I watched it on ITV Plus One, and <laughs> what it was was a really lanky bloke with sideburns and, and dark hair doing really embarrassing dancing in a, in a, at a party and then falling into a pond, and Harry Hill goes, there's the 11 o'clock shows. Ian Lee, excited that he's just got a parking space outside his house. I couldn't believe it! I was really chuffed. Ah, thanks very much. I'm, I'm part of Popular Culture Kids for a television show I did 12 years ago. How wonderful is that? Um, don't forget that um, on uh, BBC Three Counties Sport with Luke Ashmead, 7 till 10.30 on Tuesdays. Uh, this Tuesday evening, you have commentary from the Championship and League One. Watford will be in Wales to take on Malky Mackay's Cardiff. Is that a man's name? Malky Mackay? Fantastic. MK Dons travel to Crawley and Stevenage are at home to Portsmouth in League One. All the build-up starts at seven and after the action, have your say with Luke by phone, text, email or Twitter. Three County Sport with Luke Ashmead this Tuesday from 7pm. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Um, I was in Dunstable this weekend, as I've mentioned. I saw a child being very, very rude to an elderly man. It was awful. What happened was, I I saw a a guy in his 40s staring at a kid, and I I was in my car, and I pulled up, wound down the window, I was going to say something to this guy, because I thought he was being a bit bit pervy, if I'm honest. And then I heard this kid just unleash this torrent of abuse, effing and jeffing, indoor language. Uh, And then the guy just went, do not use that kind of language out on the street. And walked off. So there'd obviously been a bit of hassle. And as he walked, I was in Dunstable. And this kid was outside the, the, the barbers. It's got the electric guitars. 
And, and as he walked off, this old man kind of took his place, heard this kid swearing, and turned and looked at him. And this kid, who was no older than ten years old, I would say about eight, then said to this guy in his seventies, "You bleep him, bleep! Stop staring at me, you bleep! Otherwise, I'll kick you in the bleeps." Listen, you don't speak. You don't speak to anyone like that in the street. I didn't get involved. I was in my car, so I saw it. If I'd been on the street, I think I would have got involved. I would have said something to the kid. Wouldn't have touched him, but I would have said something to the kid, even though I know it would have had no effect whatsoever. He would have told me to get lost in in street language. Well, our reporter Justin Dealey has been out asking if you would intervene if you saw something kick off. Now, Robert, you wouldn't intervene. Tell us why. Well, because you probably get yourself into trouble. You know, it causes more problems than what they deserve now. And probably they haven't been brought up the right way. I don't know what the fans are like anyway to bring the kids up. Okay, let me ask you this then, because I was saying to Ian that that five years ago I probably would have intervened. Now, I don't think it's worth the hassle. Going back five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, you would have intervened then, but not now. Not now, no. Probably years ago I might have done, but not now anyway. If it's one to one, you might be all right. If you intervene with kids, there might be a gang of them. You go up and trying to do something. They all jump on top of you, wouldn't they? Now, for yourself, madam, absolutely no doubt in your mind, you would step in. Not you me. just can't sit there and do nothing, can you? No. And you have stepped in in the past. Yeah. Tell us what's happened. I just turned to... They've told me to shut my mouth and then I just say, leave them alone and shut up. So they verbally abused you back, but that wouldn't put you off stepping no. in again? No, it wouldn't. Do you think more people should be like you? Yeah, they should. I thought a bit like the previous lady I just spoke to a moment ago. You have stepped in. Tell us what happens. Uh, basically, when, when you step in, obviously they, they, they don't want to know because they just do it as bullying. Be honest, do you think we are weak people for not stepping in? Yeah, I do, to be fair, because if it was the other way around, I'd want someone to step in for me. Treat people as you want to be treated yourself, basically. Uh, there's Justin Dealey out talking uh, to you on the street. What would you have done? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Would you have got involved? It, it's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, listen, I don't think these kids were packing pieces. I don't think they were tooled up. So that wouldn't have worried me. And also, they're gonna, you know, I, I doubt very much they're going to stab a six foot three bloke in the middle of the high street at uh, 11 o'clock in the morning. But... Uh, I, I, I suspect that had I said something, I would have just got a load of abuse as well. But at least I would have felt uh, that I'd done something, that I'd, I'd had a go at doing something. What was amazing is no one, no one was, was stopping. Everyone was walking past. No one was, was, was paying. They were doing that thing where they don't look. Uh, and they, they're nothing to do with me, Governor. Nothing to do with me. John Walvin has tweeted. And you can tweet uh, at Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E-E, or at BBC3CR. I'm always finding, uh, telling kids off, especially for bad language, in play parks near my six-year-old daughter. I've not come across the kids swearing in the, in the parks yet. I've told off grown-ups in the street for swearing. We had some builders opposite us. We've still got some builders opposite us. They've been there for um, over 18 months now. <laughs> over 18 months now. And when the new couple moved in and they came and introduced themselves... Boy, oh boy, did I. <laughs> Hi, we're the, we're the couple that have been spent the last 18 months taking up six parking spaces, starting work at 8am in the morning, uh, and I went, oh, all right, yeah. Hope you've not found the, 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 the building work too intrusive. Well, funny you should mention that, and I rattled off a long list of exactly how intrusive I'd found it. Oh, boy. But there were some builders over there who were... I was carrying my boy. He was asleep, but I was carrying him from the car to the house, and they were swearing. I went, oi! 
what's your language? I've got kids here and we can hear you in the house. And there were two of them. And one of them gave me a really dirty look as if to say, how dare you? And to the credit of the other guy, he went, sorry, mate, we'll keep, we'll keep it down. And that's all it takes. I'm not, I'm not, for, listen, I do like using indoor language. I think, uh, I think a, a well-timed F-bomb can, I, I do, I think we can say that. I think we can just about say that. Don't explain, don't explain it to the kids. Don't explain. I, I think a well-timed one of those uh, in a sentence or in a conversation, I think it can be very funny. I think it can be very powerful. And I think it can add weight to an argument. And I do swear a bit too much, but I make sure I don't do it around kids. I don't, I, I, I don't really do it when I'm out and about. There's a time and a place, isn't there? Let's see if Sophie Tyler drops any bombs during this travel news, shall we? Let's see. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. London bound on the M40. We have long delays following the earlier accident. Three vehicles involved between five at Stoke and Church and four at High Wycombe. All lanes have been reopened, but it is going to take you around a quarter of an hour to get through that stretch. And southbound on the M1, more delays, I'm afraid. Delays of around 40 minutes, actually, between 15 at Northampton and 14 at Milton Keynes. And southbound again, also looking a little bit tricky between 30 at Bedford, 13, sorry, at Bedford and 12 at Flitwick. Now southbound on the A1M, 20 minute delays between Junction 9 at Letchworth and 7 at Stevenage and anti-clockwise delays still of over an hour between junction 21A at St Albans and 15 at the M4. Now everything else not actually looking too bad. Usual delays elsewhere. The reports are uh, delays for this time in the morning not causing too much of a problem though. Trains not looking too bad either. There's more in 15 minutes. Thank you very much Sophie. It's 8.45 Monday the 22nd of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Members of the Jimmy Savile Stoke Mandeville Hospital Charitable Trust will meet to discuss changing its name later today. Police in Cardiff have charged a 31-year-old man with murder and 13 counts of attempted murder <coughs> Excuse me, in connection with a series of hit-and-run incidents in the west of the city on Friday. In sport, the QPR manager Mark Hughes has warned that football will never totally get rid of racism after a weekend in which several players boycotted the Kick It Out campaign's T-shirts. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Patchy rain to start, becoming drier, bit cloudy, dull and misty. Top temperature is 16 degrees. And coming up, Bedfordshire non-league side Alzi have been drawn to uh, are drawn away to 1987 winners Coventry in the first round of the FA Cup. Before nine, we'll hear from the town's director of football. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's been an amazing year for sport, with some of the biggest names collecting the world's greatest prizes. This is sensational riding here in the Olympic Games at London 2012. But every year, the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year recognises people who aren't stars, but have simply gone that extra mile. They've made their contribution for no reward, except the enjoyment of seeing sport flourish in their community. There are unsung heroes. Nominate yours now via our website at bbc.co.uk slash sportsunsunghero and help us round off a remarkable year of sport in 2012. The draw for the first round proper of the FA Cup has thrown up a juicy game for Alzi, one of the smallest teams left in the competition. They'll go from playing in front of average crowds of about 300 to playing at a 30,000-seater stadium against one of the biggest teams in the competition, Coventry City. Gary King is Alzi's director of football. He joins me on the line now. Morning, Gary. Good morning. So, you're up against Coventry. How do you feel about that? Well, we're just still sinking in, if I'm honest. You just said we're going from 300 to 30,000, so... 
everyone around the club is just buzzing at the moment. That must, that, it must be, listen, I'm, I've got to be honest, Gary, I'm not a huge football fan, I don't really know how it works, but even I can see, as, a, as an outsider, that being a small club like Arlesey, getting drawn against Coventry, it, it is quite an amazing um, and exciting opportunity, isn't it? It is, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it, I know it's a cliche, but that's the FA Cup for you, it's, it's, it, we've come up roses, you know? Uh, what does it mean, exactly, for a small club like you to be drawn against a bigger club? It gives everybody the chance to go out and on a big stage and 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 have a real go at a real football team, and um, you know it, it's just it, it's it's almost uncomprehendable. You can't you you you, you just can't believe it. But is there? I'm assuming there's a bit of cash coming your way. Is there? Is that how it works? Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, just, for, <laughs> just, just a bit. Just for winning that game, we got twelve thousand. So. It, it keeps us going, it keeps everybody smiling at the club, and it, it, it just means that the pressure is off us this year, for sure. Hang on a minute, for, I, listen, I don't understand this. For the last game you won, you, you won 12 grand. The last game in the FA Cup, you won 12 grand. Yeah, when we won on Saturday, the FA will send us £12,000 for winning that game, yes. Do you win, do, do teams, as they go further in the FA Cup, win more and more money? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, that every round it, it, it gets higher. Oh, suddenly it's a bit more exciting. I thought you just got the, the silver <laughs> cup at the end, but you're getting a few quid, Gary. This is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> if you beat Coventry, how much do you get for that? I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's 22. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a, that's a few Domino's pizzas for the lads, isn't it? Yeah, I don't look. Uh, wh- how do you rate your chances? I think we've got a chance. I think we're going to go there and, like I said, it's about giving a good account of ourselves first and foremost, but... I noticed the first thing I thought when we when we drew Coventry is they are bottom of their league, mm. so it's uh, it, it's an opportunity for us to maybe cause an upset. It is the tournament, isn't it, where, you know, giant killers is the phrase that, that's used, where the smaller team sometimes just has that run of luck yes. uh, and, you know, a lot of goodwill behind them and they, c- they can get quite far or even win it. It is possible. And even, you know, if, if you imagine we drew there... Yep. Then Coventry would have to come down to Olsey. <laughs> <laughs> is that how it works? So they come down to your little pitch? That's right. So they'd have to come down and play us at our ground, and uh, <laughs> that would be nice. What, what are your changing rooms like compared to theirs? I haven't seen theirs, and ours are quite good for our for our level of football. Yep. So the changing rooms are fine. Listen, when when exactly is the match? When when does it happen? It's a week on Saturday, so. Uh, what are we looking at? Twelve days. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Listen, I wish you. Th- th- I wish you the very best of luck. Yep. Well, no doubt we'll speak to you afterwards. Yes. Go, go, go and give them a good kicking. I don't mean that literally. <laughs> I mean beat them at football. That's what we will try and do. Gary King, thank you very much. Alzi's director of football. Can, can you hear me? Just um, not knowing any of the football terminology. Go and beat them at football. Get more goals in that thing than they get. I didn't know they got paid for each round that they proceeded in the FA Cup. I might get a team up. I could probably. Go, I could probably. I, I couldn't, could I? Let, let's be honest. I absolutely couldn't do that at all. That's, a, that's quite amazing. 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number if you want to uh, give us a call. Don't forget the BBC Sports Unsung Hero Award. Amid the stunning year of sports so far, the BBC has once again launched the BBC Sports Unsung Hero Award to celebrate people working behind the scenes to make sport accessible. To all. This will be a tough one to call this year, won't it? Do you you remember the Olympics? The Olympics. It happened a few months ago. There were loads of people involved there. I saw some... I went to uh, the Paralympics and I saw... You know there was talk about those those helpers, whatever they were called. Um, And there was was all these videos on YouTube or stories in newspapers of the, the wacky ones who had microphones or megaphones and were being wacky. I saw a couple of wacky um 
helpers at the Olympics. If any of those win, that's going to be trouble, because they weren't funny in the slightest. But anyway, celebrate... I'll stop being grumpy, shall I, because this is a good thing. Celebrating its 10th year, the Unsung Hero Award will be given to someone who goes the extra mile to help out in local sport. So, if you know someone of any age who coaches, administers or organises clubs in their free time for no reward, except for the enjoyment of seeing sport flourish in their communities across the UK, uh, you can nominate them now. And the way you do it, is you go to bbc.co.uk forward slash sports unsung hero bbc.co.uk forward slash sports unsung hero um, and that will give you the details there of how you can nominate someone you can also obtain a nomination form by post letters you remember that by calling 0845 308 8000 0845 308 8000 um uh, anytime note the calls cost up to five pence per minute from most landlines an additional connection fee may also apply calls from mobiles may cost considerably more call 08459 455 555 08459 455 555 bbc three counties radio now, you may remember the high-profile theft of the Wenlock jug, which was stolen from Stockwood Discovery Centre this summer. We banged on about it a lot. They found it now. But it wasn't the only theft to occur from one of the region's museums, and it's become such a concern that a new unit has been set up to deal with museum security. Tonight's BBC East's Inside Out programme reveals the scale of the problem across our region. Here to tell us more is the presenter, David Whiteley. Morning, David. Morning, Ian. Hi. There have been a number of high-profile thefts from museums recently. How bad is the problem? Well, using Freedom of Information, we found out that across the East, in our part of the world, there have been at least 111 objects stolen in the last six years. In half Hertfordshire, for example, it was 16. In Bedfordshire, 21. So quite high figures. 111? Yeah, I know. And when you consider these things aren't exactly small, um, in, in one place... What was... are the grumpy old men in the, in, who sit in the corner <laughs> doing if they're not watching? Maybe they're being too grumpy uh, to see what's going on. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, it is a concern when you, when you consider some of these things that... You, you talked about the Wenlock jug there. Yeah. Um, the, the thought behind that was it was, it was stolen to order. These things are being, you know, targeted because, you know, their worth is known. Someone says to them, hey, look, you know, we've seen this thing there and we know what it's worth. Can you go and grab it, please? What what other bits and pieces are are being nicked? Uh, Well, in Hertfordshire, there have been some Saxon coins, uh, fake rhino horns uh, among the things stolen. Maybe they realised afterwards they were fake. Um, You know, a a rhino horn was actually stolen from Suffolk. A a real rhino horn or a a fake rhino? No, a real one. A real one. Why are people after rhino horns? I don't know what it is. It doesn't work, trust me. Yeah, just just don't try it. No. Um, And uh, Cambridgeshire... um, there, were, there was loads of thefts there. I mean, it, it, it's happened in a lot of places. Uh, museums are becoming so concerned, they've set up a new unit to deal with security. It's headed up by a chap with a wonderful name, Vernon Ripley. Uh, he used to work for, uh, to, for Scotland Yard. And I asked him if he thought museums were being complacent. I think absolutely the opposite, actually. I think the museum's recent events, and there's been a number of thefts, um, have really highlighted the need for museum security. But obviously museum security can be quite expensive to put in, and so it has to be prioritised, and, and sometimes it can take a number of years to put in but i think there's a number of measures that that they can take now that are are cost effective uh, and cheap just by working together
together, sharing resources um, and making the best use of the intelligence and uh, resources that they have. Or just locking things up. Listen, my tongue is slightly on my cheek, David. I'm a big fan of museums and I do find it terrible that people nick this stuff. But it must be upsetting for the museum staff as well. Yeah, as you say, you can lock stuff away, but then we wouldn't see it. Mm. Um, You know, if if you work in a museum, you do become attached to things. You you become very passionate. You care about certain artefacts and objects and, and displays there. We spoke to Karen Perkins, who's the curator of Stockwood Park in Luton, as you mentioned earlier, mm. you know, the, the Wenlock Jug. But she said when that was stolen, it was, it was very devastating for people. The impact of the theft on the museum has been devastating, I have to say, not only to our regular visitors, but also to staff who um, take a great pride in this site, what they've achieved over the last four years. Cuts are being made everywhere. I'd assume mm. that the, the cuts are being made to museum funding. That must be uh, affecting them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the feeling of, of some within the service as well. Uh, Labour councillor George Nobbs says that oh. the removal of guides... Sorry? Uh, George Nobbs, is okay, his name? that's his name. Okay. Uh, that is his name. Um, and it always raises a smile. Uh, he says the removal of guides from rooms in Norwich Castle Museum, for example, makes the collection there more vulnerable. Some of them lost their jobs. Some of them were deployed to other duties. But... To my mind, unless you have real people actually walking about the museum, interacting with the public and seeing what's going on, you're just inviting thefts. And that's a claim that's denied by the museum officials who say that the staff have been deployed elsewhere. What's the answer, David? What, what can be done? Well, apart from locking it away, which you just mentioned, you know, there, there is, it is quite difficult. We're going to find out more about this new security unit on tonight's programme. And, of course, there is a happy ending when the, the Wenlock Chug is returned uh, to Stockwood. Uh, excellent stuff. I shall be watching with interest. What else have you got on the show tonight? Uh, we go back to Dale Farm a year after the riot when illegal travellers were evicted from there. And we look back to the Cuban Missile Crisis 50 years ago. Uh, and this region came very close to whoa. firing the first missile of what would have been World War Three, and whoa. you and I wouldn't have been talking to each other. Hang right on now. a second, would, really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, we were in, involved um, in the Cuban Missile in Crisis in Northamptonshire. The Thor, there was a Thor missile site there, oh and um, yeah, yeah, uh, the tiny little airbase that was a Second World War airbase um, run by the Americans, and then uh, during the Cold War, uh, Thor missiles were, were brought in, very secretive, as you would imagine. Yeah. But that, they were trained on, you know, on the Soviet Union. I'm laughing, well, I, I know. fear. I know, but then we'd have been, you know, <laughs> wiped out in return. We'd so. have been gone. David, listen, I should be watching with, with great interest. Thank you very much, uh, David Whiteley there, and uh, that'll be on tonight, 7.31. Uh, 7.30 uh, on BBC One. Um, well, listen, uh, we seem to have uh, come to some sort of conclusion that most of you would have had a little bit of a go at those kids I was talking about in Dunstable earlier on. You remember the ones I was saying that was swearing and effing and jeffing at the older man? I would have done it if I hadn't have been in the car. I would have said something, and I'm, I'm constantly, not constantly, that's a slight exaggeration, but I am, from time to time, getting involved in things, and my wife is going, oh, for goodness sake, just, just leave it. She's like, Ian, no, please. Once, I, I, I have a bus driver near me who is my nemesis. He is my nemesis. I hate it. I don't hate anybody. I hate this man, because he's been rude to me several times, and I've seen him be rude to women with buggies. Like, really nasty. Once he was so rude to me, I stood in front of the bus with my mobile phone filming him. I was there, I stopped all the traffic, quite a busy road, I stopped all the traffic, I was furious. Stopped all the traffic. And then my, I just heard a voice going, Ian, what are you doing? As my wife, and she was crossing the road, she goes, Ian, what are you doing? Oh, never mind, I'll see you in a bit. And she just walked off. I was crushed. But uh, li- listen, if you do get involved with, with, with little oiks being rude in the street, don't, the, the lesson we've learned, don't touch them, because then you're in big trouble. Don't grab them, don't touch them. Say something. But say it calmly. Set the example of how it should be done. There we go. I'm giving you some peaceful advice for the end of the show. You'll never listen to it. You never do. Travel news now. Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Still looking busy at the moment, London bound on the M40. Long delays there following an earlier accident. Three vehicles involved between Junction 5 at Stoke and Church and 4 at High Wycombe. Congestion is back to Watlington, though, at 6 at the moment. All lanes have been reopened, but still looking very slow to get through. Now, southbound on the M1 again, looking a little fairly, uh, fairly tricky, actually, with delays of around 50 minutes between Junction 15 at Northampton and 14 at Milton Keynes. More delays again between 11 at Dunstable and 10 at Luton Airport. While southbound on the A1M, there are delays of 20 minutes between 9 at Letchworth and 7 at Stevenage, and also delays of over an hour anti-clockwise on the M25 between St Albans at 21A and 15 at the M4. Everything else not looking too bad. Usual delays for this time in the morning. Nothing that will be holding you up for too long, though. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. Ignore everything I just said. Carpet Martin has tweeted me. I told a child off for swearing in the street once. His dad punched me in the jaw. Hmm. Jonathan's up next. Back tomorrow at six. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JVS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Monday and on today's Big Phone-In, I'm asking, what do you think would make prison work?